All right. Franchise Flicks Podcast. It's always on. I don't want to listen to this. What are you talking about? Everybody likes Franchise Flicks. It's an American institution. I got one. Intro music. Andy and Zach. On this podcast, we task ourselves with watching movie franchises, breaking them down, and reviewing them, including franchises we've seen and love, as well as franchises we've never seen and frankly avoided. Today, we're talking about the Santa Claus series, the franchise that could go on forever if the writers can come up with enough new rules for being Santa. This series includes the Santa Claus, the Santa Claus 2, and the Santa Claus 3, the Escape Clause. So we usually like to start these episodes off with talking about our experience level prior to binging these series. So, uh, Andy, prior to preparing for this episode, have you ever seen the Santa Claus trilogy? I think so. Um, I'm trying to think of like I actually watched two and three all the way through when they come when they had come out these movies for me were more of the you put them on at christmas and you don't necessarily sit down and watch them the whole way through but they're on in the background while maybe you're baking cookies you're wrapping presents you're doing other christmas related activities so this was the first time actually sitting down i think to watch all three movies fully um, but yeah, it was, was quite the quite the ride uh, through these '90s movies. Kind of remember <laughs> things a little differently from when I was a kid and now being an adult. <laughs> what about you, Zach? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, my wife is uh, is big into Christmas. Um, if, if you've ever met her, you know she's she's basically Mrs. Claus. Um, so she she puts these movies on. Uh, every holiday season a lot so i've seen i've seen the santa claus trilogy and it does kind of sound like feel a little sacrilege to call it a trilogy (laughs) (laughs) but but i mean that's what it is um but uh yeah i've seen him a bunch i've seen a bunch it it, i'll be honest the santa claus in particular is actually probably it's it's kind of a guilty pleasure for me uh watching it every holiday season i don't want to like it i there but there's there's a especially the first one there's a just a certain charm to it that uh is is kind of alluring as much as i want to uh not like tim allen he's kind of got my brand of comedy in that first uh in that first one (laughs) Ted, what about yeah. You? Yeah. Um, well, you know, very similar to yours, uh, because your wife, Mrs. Claus, happens to be my wife's sister. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it 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 really is like uh, living with Mrs. Claus's sister, essentially. <laughs> uh, I mean, we watch these every single year. Just a little bit about my wife. She ordered the Hallmark Channel this year 
to watch during uh, Thanksgiving season and Christmas, and she's going to cancel it after New Year. That's how much she loves Christmas. She asked me to download a bunch of Christmas movies. Like, you name a Christmas movie, I've at least seen it in passing. Uh, But these ones are ones that I actually enjoy more than most uh, because they've got a little bit of adult humor, kind of like what Zach was alluding to, like the dad humor almost, like the Tim Allen brand of humor is very just dad jokey. And that gets me a lot. And uh, yeah, I'd seen them when I was a kid, but like I've seen them more in the last couple of years that I've known my wife uh, than I've ever seen them in my life. And especially now in quarantine, this is not the first time that we've watched them uh, through quarantine. (laughs) You're, you're on your third rewatch of the Santa Claus trilogy this year. Uh, I think, well, for (laughs) me, probably the second, but she probably has seen it at least three times, uh, during quarantine. I mean, you gotta give it time to settle in. So I get it. I get it. You gotta watch and rewatch to really take in all the heady content. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) You miss so much if you're not paying attention. That's why you can't be baking cookies or sipping cocoa when you're watching these movies. You really have to pay attention. No, like like any Christmas movie, for the most part, it's just something that makes you feel warm and fuzzy. And sometimes you catch on a joke and uh, it gets you. To Uh, the franchise's credit, I will say this. It is a nice, self-contained little universe. So you are very right in saying you put this on during Christmas. Yeah, you're joking when talking about you have to follow along and watch and all that to get everything. But at the same time, it's like you can either do that or you can do these other things. It's really meant to just be enjoyed during Christmas time. And I think that makes it a, a pretty good trilogy then. Yeah. Um, You know, kind of alluding, I alluded to it in the intro, but this franchise trilogy, as Zach doesn't want to call it, um, (laughs) it has its own rules, like it has its own universe and rules to it. Like that's the premise of these movies is are the clauses, the rules. Uh, So, yeah, that's the connecting thread here. But uh, let's get into it. I'm going to read off the synopsis for the first one and we'll get into it and break it down. So, the Santa Claus won. Scott Calvin, played by Tim Allen, is a classic 90s movie dad. He's divorced, consumed by his high-paying job, and doesn't spend enough time with his kid. I mean, that's pretty common in the 90s movies, for sure. On Christmas Eve, Scott and his son Charlie stumble upon somebody on their roof. After startling the man, he falls to his death. Scott and Charlie discover that the man was Santa Claus and that the next person to put on his coat will become Santa. Scott, skeptical of this, puts the coat on because he's in just his underwear. The two proceed to the roof, hop in the sleigh, and deliver gifts for some reason. The reindeer transport them to the North Pole, where Scott learns that under the Santa Claus, he is now Santa Claus, and has 11 months to get his affairs in order before taking the job. He wakes up the next morning thinking that it was all a dream, but Charlie believes it happened. Scott begins gaining weight and graying, transforming into Santa Claus. Charlie's mother, Laura, and her new husband, Neil, think that Scott is going too far, fueling Charlie's imagination, and that visitation rights stripped from him. 
Scott, now understanding that he's Santa Claus now, kidnaps Charlie, brings him to the North Pole. They deliver presents, but then Scott is arrested while delivering presents. The elves end up saving Scott and Charlie. Charlie is delivered back home. Suddenly, his mother and Neil believe Scott is Santa, and Scott gives Charlie a snow globe that can summon him whenever he needs him. That's pretty much it. The way... The way you just described that movie sounds like an absolute horror show. <laughs> oh, I know. And that's I had a lot of fun writing these synopses because like it's it's very on point as to what this movie is. But yeah, it's like, what the fuck? When you break it down, what, what happened happening? here? <laughs> I mean, he straight up kidnaps his own son. It by his son's choice, I guess, but he kidnaps his son because he does not have visitation rights. And he's lucky in that moment that his wife is even letting him in their house. I mean, to say goodbye. Take, let's start from the beginning. Take, yeah. take uh, the, the idea that it's Santa Claus on the roof out. Tim Allen killed a guy and put his coat on. Yeah. Like that in that in and of itself, if you just isolate it, is a crazy way to start off a story. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, he was in his underwear, Zach. Come on. Yeah, I get it. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it is really jarring to think like how this movie starts off is basically your classic 90s. Here's some business dude. Look at us in sales. And here we are. We're having a Christmas party. Like every all these staples of a, a good 90s storytelling happening, whether it's TV or uh, movies and then all of a sudden we go right into murder of santa claus <laughs> which then drives this crazy convoluted plot uh, all about believing in christmas and santa and all of that jazz that's all about the belief in santa and we go through this crazy magical fucked up journey to get there <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah definitely i think it's funny yeah. that like i mean it, it, you guys both hit on it already like this this trope especially in 90s movies 90s families 90s family movies um where like this, the dad is just he's got his his uh his sales job and he's just grumpy and and he's got not really a good dad it's like this exposition on the beginnings of late stage capitalism and what it does with their families <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's it's so it's so quintessential like 90s culture at that time it's so weird uh to see uh, in a santa claus movie in a christmas movie yeah i can think of like five movies right off the top of my head that follow the same format up until the point that santa claus is murdered obviously it's fair but yeah, you know, I, I think of like liar, liar. Uh, it's just amazing that this is such a tropey thing in the nine bad dad movies. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I when I watched these movies as a kid, I almost like envied. Like, I want two Christmases. I want divorced parents here. Like, not that's really. What you, that's what you it's got. Just out like, of it. <laughs> it's just like this is such a common trope. Why isn't this my life? This is really weird to me. Uh, to have a stable family, I guess. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess yeah. seeing just that, you would feel a little weird. Absolutely. Um, well, anyway, uh, let's get off of that trope 
itself and just uh, get through this movie. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> Santa is murdered here. Uh, well, not murdered. I guess it was accidental manslaughter, I guess. Either way, you put on the man's coat and you go along for the journey. That that was my point in the synopsis. For some reason, they get into the sleigh and they deliver the presents, no questions asked, until they're delivered to the North Pole. The only thing I can think of is that off screen somewhere, Tim Allen uh, playing Scott Calvin, uh, the, the characters merge together and he must have gone on some coke bender and thought this was really just a bad bender dream and that he was just going along for the ride because uh, he was just tripping out. I don't know. Yeah, if it becomes absolutely absurd the moment you take the idea of Santa Claus and what he does supposedly um, or to the children that listen does do where like he has to deliver all the presents. So how does this man now being Santa Claus do all of that and not wake up the next day thinking like what the actual fuck? Not even scared. He's just literally just waking up from a bad coke dream. And his son on the you know, the other hand is like, no, all of that shit's real. Uh, we really did that. And, oh, by the way, now I'm excited about Santa. And then for the next several minutes, we'll just see sequences of Charlie doing all this crazy Santa Claus reindeer riding a sled related stuff. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is I mean, that's kind of what reinvigorates his his love and belief or really his, his joy for the holiday. Right. We, we see Charlie kind of get this feeling back uh, after spending a pretty shit Christmas with his dad. Um, Christmas Eve, at least, you know, where he just, everything goes wrong. Christmas dinner does. You know, he burns Christmas dinner. He. Um, they, they go to the restaurant and they don't have chocolate milk. Like what kind of restaurant doesn't yep. have chocolate milk for a kid? I feel bad for him right there. Uh, but you know, it, and then it, finally he gets something that he can look forward to. He gets something that he can look up to in his dad. Um, and that's what connects them and drives the story going forward. Yeah. Uh, so playing off of that, that's really what, helps their relationship uh you know in this 90s not great dad trope being santa claus is what brings them together makes scott calvin realize that family and making others feel joy are the most important things and not doing well at your sales job and all this stuff and doing something that's fulfilling to you too you know the more he gets entrenched in being santa it's partially naturally because he's literally transforming into Santa, but you can tell as a person too, because uh, Scott Calvin in the beginning of the movie his like one redeeming quality is that he wants Charlie to believe in Santa. And that's despite the fact that his mother doesn't want him to her husband, Neil doesn't want him to, they all think he's too old, which by the way, he looks pretty young in that movie. I definitely don't think he's too old to believe in Santa, but that's neither here nor there. Well, they make um, yeah. I I just wanted to point out like they make it yeah. such a big deal that Charlie believes in Santa Claus like yeah. <laughs> I just it's it's pretty crazy how much of an emphasis they have on 
Charlie believes in Santa Claus. Therefore, he's losing his mind as a child. (laughs) This is going to come up as a recurring theme throughout this trilogy is this idea that Christmas was a traumatic experience for all these people. And that's like what it turns out, right? Like, why are they concerned about Charlie in Christmas? Well, because Neil never got his fucking weenie whistle because the mother never got the dating board game and that tragic christmas experience has now made them you know overtly concerned about charlie's christmas experiences and so they they will do everything they can now because uh neil is a psychiatrist or a psychologist and he's always diagnosing and therapizing the family uh, yes i just made up the word therapizing but i feel like it works with him because <laughs> he does some stuff in there too but like it's this idea that okay yeah we're gonna say no to charlie even though he's clearly still the age to believe in santa uh because of our traumatic experiences as children during christmas well yeah but not only that they they literally take away his father's right to see him because he believes in santa claus like it just well they really take it extra far they do but from the outside looking in if you're watching this guy like literally transform himself like uh if we're going by like actual diagnoses that exist now you could argue that scott calvin has body dysmorphia and he's making himself look like santa claus similar to people who are like obsessed with Barbie dolls and want to make themselves look like a Barbie doll. So he's taking it in their minds way too fucking far feeding into his, his kid's imagination. Like that's sweet, but they're concerned. I can see their concern in the long run from a certain extent. I don't know if I would take his parental rights away. I think the one scene that probably leads me to thinking he should have his parental rights taken away, though, is the scene where they're in the park and he's just sitting there on the bench and all these kids come over and sit on his lap and ask him uh, for certain presents and he lets them. And I was just watching that scene. I'm like, anybody in a park around kids that were not theirs would be taken away immediately that that's concerning right there you're on a list right after that and that's that's grounds to take his parental rights away things are different in the 90s man i i don't think so i think you it's could, just different be a, a creep in the movie. 90s i don't know i i don't know that's the problem with these movies is there are two perspectives i i mentioned this in our like our, our pre-show where it's like you can look at this story from the perspective of a child and you laugh along and you're like Christmas, Santa, haha, funny, and you're loving it. As an adult, you're questioning your own life decisions now. You're thinking <laughs> like all these crazy scenarios through with this man. But that's not what this movie is about. This movie is not meant for you as an adult. It's trying to be as realistic as possible and there are adults making it. So, yeah, they, they do these things, throw them in that make it relatable and whatnot but like man it is so fucked up when you start thinking about this shit for any longer than you should yeah yeah definitely i mean i've never i never thought i would have to watch the santa claus with an analytical eye um (laughs) and and it's kind of regretful that we did yeah now that i think of it we're probably doing a disservice to the series the trilogy 
uh, by watching it with a critical lens and breaking it down. But I don't know. It, it's fun, too, because like you can recognize those things that are super weird and creepy in hindsight and with a critical lens. And I'll probably never see these movies again the same way, which is unfortunate because uh, I enjoyed these movies before and it probably ruined them for me. But at the same time, I can still appreciate all the stuff that makes it a cute family movie. And it's all meant to be innocent stuff. It's not meant to be malicious stuff. Of course. Uh, you know, just like in the last episode when I accused Doc Brown of being a predator. He's not really a predator. But you got to ask the question sometimes. I mean, we really don't know about Doc Brown still. But you never know. But uh, 40! <laughs> you know, I... I, I wanted to, to point out, like, the, the the Santa Claus aspect aside, uh, Tim Allen in this movie, especially as Scott Calvin, has my number, man. Like, he makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> Some of my favorite lines come from this movie. Like, when he says, when Neil's head comes to a point. <laughs> <laughs> he has his dynamic with Neil in particular. I love. I think it's so funny the way they go back and forth. Um, you know, when he's coming back from the North Pole in the morning, I'm getting a cat scan. Like those, <laughs> those, those dad jokes yeah. just hit me so good. Uh, and it's again, Tim Allen is not my favorite human being, but man, he's got <laughs> he's got my number in these movies for sure. He plays yeah. a great, you know, moderate conservative Santa Claus, like yeah. the Santa Claus that voted for <laughs> Ronald Reagan uh, in the 80s and without a doubt voted for like um, he's your, he's your Mitt, in the 90s. You're, you're Mitt Romney Republican. Yeah, totally. But he's also like a good guy. Like, that's the thing. Like, you can't fault this man for some of his beliefs that might be a little stoic and, you know setting us backwards instead of forwards but like yeah you can laugh with him because he's funny <laughs> we're getting into different things here right now. We're, we're talking about uh the, the belief system of scott kelvin which uh you know you, you can gather what kind of guy he is but i think the only thing they actually lay out that he believes in is not believes in but santa he wants his son to believe in santa because he, he at least believes in childhood wonder and that's nice um, that's like the one redeeming quality he has before he becomes Santa. Like I said, um, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, uh, his brand of comedy. And I think that's definitely Tim Allen's brand of comedy, not just uh, special to these movies are like the one liner, just dad jokes that are snarky retorts to something somebody else said that's serious. And it works so well, especially in the first movie. It kind of diminishes in the second and third movie because then he's Santa Claus and he has to be holly and jolly. He still has it a little bit, but uh, definitely in this first movie, I appreciate that so much. Uh, yeah. It really makes this movie less of a kid's movie for me and you know gives the parent or the adult something to cling to when you're watching this. I also find myself disliking all of the other adults and really starting to care for and cheer for Tim Allen throughout mm -hmm. the movie. So I think that really helps solidify this and his relationship with Charlie, because the movie sets you up to believe it's a bad relationship. They go on Coke binge uh, around the town delivering presents. And all of a sudden now their relationship has completely changed. It's that 
great father-son relationship you dream of in the movies like when you go see them and now you get to see that taken away as this story unfolds where they don't believe him to be the santa claus and now he loses his rights blah 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 so yeah i think that's a really good point you know as a as a father like i I kind of watched this with uh another lens you know as that father figure and you know you see the relationship change from um kind of distant to um you know redeemed to stripped to you know nothing's gonna let us nothing's gonna get in the way of our you know of our of our relationship father and son wise like seeing those shifts in charlie and scott's relationship um with that parental lens is is um, a lot more interesting than i remember you know and a lot more emotional than i remember as well yeah absolutely i totally agree with that and then that leads to toward the end as uh, things kind of come to a close and they come together when Neil and Laura believe that he's Santa, suddenly their perspective on him totally shifts and they're like, holy shit, like if this guy is really Santa, he has been an incredible father through this entire thing and we have taken his son from him. And it sets up in the later movies something that you don't see a lot from divorced couples and uh, the stepfather and those relationships is like these people then start considering each other all to be family and it extends the family rather than shrinking it and isolating uh, the mom and the dad who were divorced. Uh, it becomes way more than that and really sets up for nice relationships as we go forward into the series. Yeah, yeah, you have that modern family aspect of you know that that kind of began in the eighties and nineties, you know, that we see culturally. Well, it's also trying to give purpose to those other movies too. Like, all right, you this trilogy is based on these clauses, but like, why these clauses? So, like, they have to like teach you lessons, uh, or that's the attempt the the authors or the authors the writers uh came up with was okay let's have these clauses these rules but also there's going to be purpose given so let's teach lessons let's teach about family let's teach about these things because it's disney that's what they do uh in their productions is that they they want to tell good family stories and a good family story involves learning lessons from father to son from mother to daughter from sister to brother you know whatever those family movies are they got to give you some kind of lesson Totally. Yeah. And they do a good job at it. You know, I don't know that there's really, you know, know we're talking about, you know, the characters and everything. There's not a whole lot of, you know, else going on. I mean, we can talk about uh, Bernard. What do we how do we feel about Bernard? Um, What's his name? He's in like a billion things. Um, Uh, Yeah, something Crumholtz. I can't remember his first name, but his last name is Crumholtz. Uh, I did find it interesting. That the Jewish man is playing a uh, elf. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, my first, it, <laughs> my first thing. That... It, it, and like beyond that, like that, that's that's just a fun inside thing. Like if you're an adult and you're like you just realize cultural differences, like weird that he's the elf in Christmas when he was probably born and raised Jewish. We don't know, obviously, but. Um, he seems to be of Jewish descent with the last name and everything. So, uh, but he's also the only elf 
who is at reasonable height, which I find weird. Uh, I've also found the elves as children very off-putting. I don't know about you guys. I was not comfortable with it at all. Like, it, it was what it was. But the the fact that they're saying that these are adult elves, but their children acting as them just really didn't sit well with me, especially watching it this time around. I'm like, wow, I never noticed how disturbing that is to me. Uh, I don't know. What did you guys think about that? What made you so uncomfortable with it? The idea that these kids are playing adults? I, I don't know. It just seemed so weird to me. It, and especially, too, when you go into the next two movies, like you get to uh, Curtis he grows exponentially <laughs> yeah, between two and three. And like, I know you got to suspend the disbelief, but I'm just like, man, these are supposed to be elves and they're all kids. But this one, like the main ones grow from movie to movie. And it, it just made me start thinking about like, how do elves work? I don't get this shit because <laughs> it seems like they're going through puberty. But then every movie you get young elves again around them. So I don't know. It was just a, a weird thing to me. I, I don't know. No, there's a specific weird scene from the first one where um, well, I'm blanking on his name. I'll just say Tim because that's what it is. Tim Allen, uh, the tool man. Scott Calvin. Uh, Scott Calvin. Thank you. Um, it's when he and the female elf judy person. judy yep. is that her name yeah um, yep. that's a little yeah. bit uncomfortable name, yeah name is uh the the waitress uh so judy and him have this interaction in front of the bed with hot cocoa and talking about her age and like involvement with another person very uncomfortable watching that moment happen uh, because here it is, it's an adult male talking to a child, but the child is supposed to be hundreds of years old. So it's one of those things where as a kid, haha, funny, funny, adult, what the fuck am I watching right now? Um, that really made me uncomfortable. Yeah, and I, I guess that that sums it up perfectly, that scene. It's children acting like adults, like very purposefully acting like adults, like not just that they are cast as adult elves it's that they are acting like adults and it just doesn't feel right and yeah specifically that scene i forgot about that scene uh in particular and that's a really good example of it but uh i i don't know i've spent way too much time on that but just super off-putting to me <laughs> i don't know well, I don't know. I didn't really have the same reaction to it. I can see where you're coming from, for sure. I mean, it, it's especially a scene like that where it's, you know, this this little girl is kind of is 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 having an adult conversation uh, with the guy that just killed Santa Claus. Um, so <laughs> I definitely understand where you're coming from. There. But uh, yeah, that's another thing, too. They're way too comfortable with this guy who definitely killed Santa Claus and took his clothes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that part is what makes me more uncomfortable. Everybody's just like this. It just kind of happens from time to time. You know, big guy falls you off know, the roof. Another you get a new dead guy. Santa. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> and oh, man. I, I love how Bernard kind of like just acts like he's just supposed to know all this 
you know, like, like Scott, what are you talking about? Like, you're you're the guy. You're Santa Claus now. Welcome to the club. Like, but there was yeah. there was no uh, there's no introduction. There's no orientation. They're just kind of thrown into it. And he's like, Scott, what don't you get about this, buddy? No, oh, I love him. He's like Bernard is actually one of my favorite characters, and a big disappointment he doesn't make an appearance in the third one. But yeah. His whole character in this movie in particular, he's middle management. He's like, he knows that there's shit that's got to get done and it's, he's going to do it. He's going to get all the things working and moving. I mean, and he's reporting to his boss about it too, because he knows he has to manage his boss along the way. He's used to this shit. He gets a new Santa every, you know, nearly a thousand years or whatever. And it's got to go through the same process. Like, yep, I know we're going to go through this. I get it. Yeah. But I got shit to do top down, up below left, right. Come on, come on, let's go next. thing. <laughs> yeah. It, again, a, a great example of late stage capitalism. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. So uh, beyond the characters um, in, in the North pole and in the movie, um, I did want to talk about the, just the North Pole in general um, and like the kind of the, the effects in the in the scenery and just how much I adore the North Pole aesthetic in the Santa Claus. Like it's just there's something about it, it's just so nostalgic to me uh, with all, just all the, the festive decorations and just everything is incredibly purposeful in terms of their decor. Um, I love the aesthetic of the North Pole in all these movies, but especially when we're introduced to it in the first one, uh, I think it's really um, endearing. Yeah. Do you mean specifically right now the the first one, the or first are you one. referring to all of them? Because they yeah. change in the first one. I I don't know if it's my favorite, because um, I was really wasn't even thinking about liking them or not, like how I'd rate them or whatever. But, like, I definitely noticed the changes in both movies. And it was kind of jarring, in fact, at this place. So, like, as an adult now, thinking about it is, like, does this, like, magically change, like, every year? Is this something that happens? Is this, like, canonical where over the year, like, the whole fucking little village changes? Or am I just supposed to accept as a kid, like, uh uh-huh, North Pole, cool, shiny, bright? I think you're you're expected to just kind of take it as it is like, Oh, maybe they're showing a different part of the North pole here. Um, you know, I don't really think too much into that so much, but no, the whole aesthetic changed. Like literally the, the look you go from the first one, which is kind of like, um, pastel colors, not so large baubles and yeah. And not as like traditional Christmas looking, as the next movie where things become the palette becomes very like warm in color. There's a lot more wood, a lot more red instead of all of the more futuristic things that we saw in the first one. Well, maybe Scott Calvin as Santa made some changes. Maybe there were some renovations done. I mean, there's quite a bit of time that uh, occurs between the first one and the second one. Charlie's a teenager by the time we get to the second movie. This so. is true. He could have totally changed the entire operation. And, uh, you know, in the subsequent two movies, everybody seems pretty happy with everything he's doing there. And uh, they talk about in the second one, not to get into it too far, uh, with the council or uh, what is it? Council of legendary figures or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that uh, 
child morale is up like 60% since he became the new Santa. So like maybe that's the canonical reason for it. Uh, but I, I agree with you, Zach, like just as far as the aesthetic and like it, it really, for the most part, feels like it's an actual village, which is pretty cool. I think more so in the next couple movies, because you spend a lot more time outside of the workshop itself. Right. But it, it really feels like it could be a real thing. And it's an interesting mix of uh, like traditional things and technology. It's a weird like high tech. I'd almost compare it to like, obviously not in a serious sense, but like almost like Wakanda in Black Panther where it's a lot of this traditional stuff mixed with high technology. The first thing you see when uh, you come to the North Pole is this little uh, candy cane thing come out of the ground. And this this elf makes me crack up every time. I, I don't know if you remember this elf that you first see, but he comes out. That little thing comes out of the ground. And he just crosses his arms like this and just stares at <laughs> Santa and I'm like, what are you doing, man? Are you trying to intimidate him? But And then he enters into a keypad, and then they kind of descend like they're going into the Batcave. Uh, it's it's really uh, kind of whimsical, if you think about it. Just uh, a weird mix of high technology and traditional Christmas stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and I like it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. I, I, I enjoy that aspect of it, too. <laughs> that, that elf is funny. He's like... Hey, Rook, how you doing? Yeah, he looks like he just won a rap battle. Yeah, yeah. He crosses his arms like this with like, so much attitude. I know really nobody listening now, can see it, but if you've seen these movies, you know what I'm talking about. He is the first introduction to an elf. And <laughs> at, at the time, I That's think uh, he might be a street tough. <laughs> Maybe it was he part of the uh, the elves with attitude. Oh, Maybe. What, yeah. what, what was that called again? The the SWAT team of elves? It, it was forces. elves, but it was uh, elite something force. I don't know. I can't remember. I love yeah, like, there's, it. It's there's like a bunch SWAT of those. for elves. Yeah, there's like yeah. a bunch of those like acronyms that they really try to force down your throat. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are kind of fun. Some of them are a little too much. Yeah, they stretch uh, like a little elf. bit. Elfcon one to Elfcon three in uh, the the second one there. Yeah, uh, yeah. How many but, elf puns can we use in each of these movies? Right. I, that should be like a yeah. count. We should go back and watch this again next time and count all the elf puns. Oh yeah, we should start yeah. drinking too. That'd be a dangerous drinking game, I think. Right. <laughs> um, so beyond the North Pole, um, I mean, I yeah. think there's there's a lot of there, there there's a lot of obviously. Uh, mystical and whimsical things that we see aesthetic wise um, but a lot of it is if not all of it is in the first one it's all practical um, you know there's really for no the most part but there's like a little bit of early CGI uh, yeah. before we get to the North Pole specifically when uh, Tim Allen puts on the coat and they're going to the uh, houses and delivering presents it's that's that whole right. thing where yeah, he's true going into the chimneys like especially the one that's uh just a little smokestack uh aluminum pipe that he kind of warps into uh even though that's really cheesy now it's actually not the worst effect i've ever seen from the 90s it's it actually does hold up yeah 
it holds up pretty well. I was surprised by that. Um, but yeah, as far as the uh, practical, I'm sorry I cut you off there. By the way, um, no, that's okay. That's a, that's a good call because I kind of I, I didn't really think about that when I'm when I'm thinking about yeah. About I just didn't want to forget it. But uh, for me, practically, the reindeer look really good. That's like, what I was gonna say too. The reindeer is the other big thing that stood out to me. Yeah, like they're clearly puppets of some kind. Uh, they're really really good. And like they're a little cartoonish in the eyes, like they've got the big cartoony eyes, but everything else, like the fur, the the look and feel of them, they look like they're pretty real. And uh, I think they did a really good job with the motion of them, the facial expressions. Uh, I was actually amazed looking back at this, like how well that was done practically. I will agree on the practical effects part, though. Uh, but when it comes to CGI in this movie, I do not think it holds up today. That was one of the first like issues or you know criticisms I had of this trilogy was we got to those first scenes of CGI and the whole Christmas shenanigans of going around the world and going down chimneys. Uh, I I think I laughed out loud at that the first time watching <laughs> um, right. of how jarring it was after some of the the stuff we watched more recently like. Um, even back to the future, the kind of special effects CGI in that is better than this movie, which comes out, you know, 10 years later. Hmm. So it's like really low budget Disney movie meant to make a shit ton of money. Yeah, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I, I definitely, there are, there are some things that stand out like the, um, uh, the, when they're hoisting the actors, that looks really bad, you know. When they're when yeah. they're using the you know the invisible lines yeah. to lift them up, that <laughs> looks bad, bad. Um, Every time he lifts up his bag and uh, floats with that, yeah, yeah, their legs just kind of come out from underneath them. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't look natural at all. Um, but I, you know, I think, like, and and I'm glad Ted pointed this out because I kind of I totally forgot about this part in terms of CGI. But when they expand the fireplace, like I think that actually is done pretty well. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I For agree the time. that back to the future was, uh, beyond, uh, the Santa Claus here. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I can't, they are right. it, the, the level that went into this, it is totally just pure green screen. Um, and well, to be uh, fair, there's not a lot of, a lot of it, right? I mean, no, and that's what I'm saying. like, I don't disagree with the, uh, practical effects I think those are done like the reindeer are some of my favorite things that happen whenever we get to see them their interactions are funny I laugh at the reindeer fart jokes I appreciate them but the guy <laughs> that we are initially slapped in the face with is a reminder of why I don't watch these movies that's why you don't watch these movies yeah bad CGI no but I mean like <laughs> I, <laughs> Just when super nitpicky dude <laughs> yeah that, that that's what i'm saying <laughs> no i'm kidding i, oh, I just man. i don't know when i when i when i see the back to the future movies and i don't want to i don't want to uh, you know spend our, all of our time talking about this but you know i i it there's a lot of that um that 80s overlay CGI, you know, that I that to me is really, really jarring. Like, I think the best example of that is like in um, have you guys seen Howard the Duck. Mm-hmm. 
you know in the like towards the end of the movie when the guy gets like his his all the powers and like he's got all this electrical stuff like everything is just like kind of laid right on top of the of the film itself like all these effects are just laid on the surface of everything they're not integrated into it and that's what i see in a lot of those 80s 80s movies whereas here it actually looks like it's a part of the scene you know that and that to me is the difference between some of those um you know those 80s effects and the you know early 90s effects the further we get into this, though, I, I will say in three, there is some overlay effect that looks really bad that we'll get into. But uh, as far as this one, I think the worst CGI effect, because I like I said, I really like that going into the chimney. I, I think it holds up enough for a 90s movie The the worst ones are probably reindeer flying from far away. Yeah, because. You know, we're watching that on a tube TV back in the day. You don't see it as well. You watch it on a high definition TV now where the the darks are really pronounced now. Uh, it doesn't look good because they relied on dark backgrounds back then for yeah. those things, which were essentially cartoons at the time to look OK. And that definitely stands out to me. But we can agree to disagree on the chimney stuff. Either way, uh, I'm not saying it's good, but I, I think it was relatively good. But yeah, uh, d did you guys pick up anything regarding the music? I didn't really pay too much attention to it myself because uh, to me it was just kind of background, generic, Christmassy music. But I don't know if you guys really heard anything from it that stood out. Yeah, I kind of felt the same. Um, I, I'm actually just looking up who did it. It's uh, uh, Michael Convertino. I don't know who that is. The uh, Michael Convertino? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he's got a pretty hefty uh, work history, but I, I mean, it, 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 nothing really in the soundtrack or... Uh, I take it back. Nothing in this score really stood out to me. The soundtrack is kind of fun, you know, the where they they'll throw in some of the uh, you know the the pop tunes. Um, I do like that. Yeah, yeah, I like sure. that. The music in this is well. The again, it's the soundtrack is very classical and it sounds like a, a Christmas story. It's like you could take this music and it's the same music from Alf. It's the same music, really John Williams in some parts where it's just intended to be background music in home alone, mm. where it just fits nicely. And then you throw in these pop tunes every once in a while. I can't even remember them, Zach, but they were catchy. And I yeah. do remember, you know, appreciating those moments throughout, but uh, it's nothing that really stood out to me but it definitely fit within the story being told because it's a Christmas story. So throw in a little bit of Christmas jingles in there every once in a while. I think that's all you really need to be successful in a Christmas movie score. Just yeah. fit a vibe and you're good. You know, you, you, you hit you hit the festive feel and and it works. You know, everything just kind of fits in together. So, I, yeah, I don't really have much else to say about the music in in the in this movie or in this franchise to be honest yeah well uh then we won't talk about music any further as we go <laughs> through this so that saves some time for us uh but before we move on to the next one did you guys see any things that any other things that 
uh, stuck out to you? Any funny moments, uh, bad moments in particular? I, I know we hit on a lot of them. Well, three surface level things that I think we would be remiss not to mention. Number one, 90s sweaters were the pinnacle of fashion. I'm just going to throw that out there. Neil's yep. sweaters right. are probably some of the best sweaters that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, two out of the three Andy sweater right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 just really good stuff, you know, and that's what I aspire to look like uh, today. Um, so I really wanted to point that out. Number two, 90s cars are absolute dog shit. Um, they, yeah, they're the boxiest <laughs> fucking things in the world. If that's like the one I, I love cars in movies, especially like these decade movies, because they it, it's very telling of the era uh, and the 90s era in particular is the worst. They look so yeah. bad. <laughs> I I've always thought to myself, like, you look at, like, uh, the 50s and 60s era of cars with those, like, really sleek, rounded edges and uh, just super well made. I wonder if, like, 20 years from now, there's going to be a wave of people who are like, now that, that is classic, <laughs> that 90s look. I love the 1995 Ford Escort. Man, do I like that. Man, just all those squares and rectangles. <laughs> they look yeah, so just good. just at car shows. We're already there. I, I Let me tell a quick story at Bonnaroo. Oh, sure. Here I am, tripping balls, okay? <laughs> Ready? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I'm in line to get food, and this dude behind me, he's got like, um, you're like a classic nineties t-shirt on and somehow we get talking and he runs this self-run business where he goes to thrift stores. He finds classic clothing and then sells it again on the internet. And I'm thinking like, Oh, classic clothing. He's going around finding stuff from like the seventies, maybe like some eighties stuff there. This motherfucker tells me like the thing he's wearing. He's talking about how he sells it it's from like 1995. Like, dude, that's not classic. Don't say that. Never say that again. It is. Why though. Why would you insult me like that here at Bonnaroo in this moment? Why? Why would you do that? <laughs> it totally yeah. is, especially like, especially fashion wise. Like, you know, the, the, the 90s aesthetic is is very hip right now, uh, you know, from like baggy jeans and, you know, uh, weird looking T-shirts and crop tops. Like that's all like mainstream fashion however yeah, crew neck sweaters yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah uh however i just i don't think that the cars will ever become uh <laughs> a, no. a desirable aesthetic no but it's something that i always think about like I how do. will this be looked upon in year whatever when somebody does find this interesting uh yeah yeah those are absolute dog shit you said there was a third one that you saw oh the, the 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 last thing I, I just i i have to give a shout out to the santa claus interrogation scene it is probably one of my favorite scenes in any christmas movie ever when the, the he gets arrested in the in the um you know in his, his ex's house delivering charlie's presents and they bring him into the interrogation room and they're trying to get him to admit that he's not 
Santa Claus, that he's Scott Calvin, but he won't do it. He just says he's Santa Claus in all these different cultures. In the 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 one classic line, ho ho shisho, is my <laughs> I I just I lose it every time. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. So shout out to that scene. Yeah, that that is a good one. Uh, I, I've got a couple moments that I really liked. Uh, you mentioned when they went to Denny's earlier and they didn't have chocolate milk. Well, the scene right before that, uh, he says, Denny's is an American institution. And <laughs> the moment they go in there, it's filled with Japanese businessmen just cackling. And I just thought that was such a funny transition from scene to scene. And it's so subtle, but man, uh, I thought that was hilarious. Um, that is funny. Andy mentioned uh, that the reindeers fart. Yeah, they fart every movie. It's classic. It continues. That's probably the through line of these movies is reindeer farts. <laughs> I mean, you can't get Not mad really. at a fart joke. No, I'll never. It, throw it and, out. It, and it gets better in the second one, I think. Uh, I love that Scott is lactose intolerant when uh, he is first delivering presents and the little girl wants him to uh, eat the cookies and milk. Oh, man. Uh, let's see here. I like that moment because when she, he revisits her, uh, she leaves out soy milk and he's like, oh, I think your milk's gone bad. And she goes, no, I got you soy milk. That made me happy. Yeah. yeah. And that's 90s soy milk. So you know it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> that's not your that's not your modern day silk. Oh, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um I, I guess the last thing I really like, because I I already talked about uh where he has the kids sitting on his lap. Uh an earlier scene before that is when Charlie has him in for career day and uh Charlie goes into the whole thing like he's Santa. And this is at the point where Scott still believes it was a dream and it didn't happen, whatever. And uh, after Charlie tells the whole story of how he became Santa, this one kid in the classroom essentially picks apart the movie. And he's like, let me get this straight. If I want to be Santa, I just have to push you off a roof. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I love that they inserted the line that just deconstructs this movie and talks about how ridiculous it is within the movie. Uh, you can tell the writers had fun with this. Like, even though it's batshit ridiculous, they knew it was. And that's well, fun. And spoiler alert, that's going to come up as a plot device in another movie. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, funny. Did you have any, Andy, any moments? I mean, you guys talked about a bunch of things already. I like when we get to the North Pole and you get to see the inside of the workshop, all of the like hot chocolate stuff and like the small details, the um, like, oh, I think it's later on in the other movies. The, I think there are vending machines in the first one. Am I mixing that up? I, I think it's only in the third. That's the, yeah, the Red Bull machine in the, the third, third one is the big okay, one. I, like them. I thought there was another kind of like vending machine thing. But anyways, I like how like all of the hot chocolate stuff and how it's all Christmassy and the elves moving around, like the little details that are used throughout this movie that remind you like this place is 24-7 Christmas. Like that's like every day at the North Pole is essentially preparing for Christmas. So you're baking cookies, you're drinking hot chocolate, all those fun things. But you guys all already talked about all the scenes and moments and whatnot, the jokes. 
Yeah, it, one thing that I forgot to mention when we were talking about kind of the aesthetic of the North Pole is like it it very much reminds me of um you know in in 2015 we went to Germany um for a visit and they had this this Christmas store and and of course we couldn't not go in to a Christmas only store in Germany. Um and so we went in it like it really reminded me of the Santa Claus aesthetic. It had that very big and over the top festive vibe to it. And I think that's why I, I like it so much. Like it's just got that kind of European, you know, classic, you know, over the top Christmas style to it. Yeah. I like that aesthetic of the very European Santa with like the, uh, twine sash around his, uh, waste and right. I, I don't know it, it looks very traditional but also it's very different than like the coca-cola sipping santa claus that we have over <laughs> here it's just very bare bones it's just a fat guy in a suit that looks like it, it was made for a malt santa uh i i wish we would actually adopt the more traditional looking santa i i actually like as these movies progress they get more into like that traditional look of santa claus more and more and it, it feels like they're getting into like even though these movies aren't serious at all but like kind of the tradition and the lore of like santa claus and where it came from yeah that's true i mean when i when i think of santa claus tim uh, uh, i guess for better or worse Tim Allen is what I think about. <laughs> like that's I think for better. Definitely for better. <laughs> like that's the that's the image that comes into my head like when when you know you you just think about Santa Claus, it's the Tim Allen full white, you know, beard and hair that comes into my mind. I guess Republican I mean, it, it, Santa Claus. What's that? It's a Republican Santa Claus comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Oh, well, hold on. Before we move on, last thing. Last thing. Of, and, and and I will say, look at us. We've talked about one Santa Claus movie for one hour. <laughs> can can we just appreciate Shit. how good we can talk? Um, but <laughs> but also at the end of this movie, right? And let's just think about this for a minute. Just indulge me. At the end of this movie. After not being seen for generations, one neighborhood now has physical and visual evidence of the actual Santa Claus. How, how do you think that these folks are, <laughs> are feeling about this? And how does it relate to the secret of Santa Claus? Uh, I want to point out before I really get into it um, that because it reminded me of the scene, uh, especially because that this is when the cops swarm the house again. Uh, real American cops would have shot Santa dead. They would have shot every <laughs> one of the fucking reindeer. His sleigh would have crashed and they would have shot him dead. But instead they just gawk at him. <laughs> you know, well, that goes to my point. How are how, like this is a very big deal. Yeah. There is for generations. There's been no Santa Claus sighting. Now hundreds of people see Santa Claus, yeah. and all they can do the is air. gawk and smile and laugh. Like uh, all the parents are laughing with the kids. Well, hold on. Let's hold up. We don't know that. 
So you're making assumptions about this universe. Uh, we got to get the prequel to answer these questions. Because what if Santa is a popular conspiracy that's spread among the people? And we kind of see this in the next film. We're teasing this. We're getting there. Is when they got that plane. What's that plane doing up there? Do we have answers? Do we know that what that plane was doing? Maybe in this world, people do believe in Santa and others don't. They deny it. It's like a conspiracy theory. There's people on the internet. They're in chat rooms in the 90s talking about it. They flat the Santa of Santa Claus. They know. The U.S. government knows. NATO knows. They know where he is. They are actually fucking tracking him because he is a threat to national security. Right, this I is regret. part of the universe. I, re- I regret. I like that head. I regret. I like it. Just bringing this up. All right. No regrets. Uh, no, Absolutely. I, I definitely regret. That I love it. That's good content right there. <laughs> All right. So let's let's hit on uh, the the second movie real quick. You mind if I just go through it? Uh, no, okay. yeah, go for it. I want to read this one. You want? Okay. <laughs> All right, Andy. <laughs> very sure. eager. Very eager. Take it oh, away. Yeah. All right. This is Santa Claus Two. This what? No, no subtitle. That's it. Just the Santa Claus Two. <laughs> the third one has a subtitle. Oh, the second fine. one doesn't. I don't they have a subtitle. Well, I'll no. give it one. Charlie should question his sexuality. So, all right. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Scott's now teenage son Charlie gets caught spray painting pro Christmas art in his school as <laughs> principal Carol Newman. Scott, now fully entrenched as Santa, finds out that Charlie is on the naughty list and decides to go home to deal with this. Before he leaves, Bernard and Curtis another fucking new assistant elf here <laughs> tell Santa about another rule that they conveniently failed to mention prior to the events of this movie. Uh, the Mrs. Claus Santa has to get married before Christmas or he will cease to be Santa. There's also another clause too, which they're not going to fucking tell him, but we'll save it for the third movie Yeah. <laughs> to fill in while he's gone. Curtis makes a toy Santa clone. So the other elves don't become suspicious. And this fucking thing does not look like uh, Tim Allen in person. It's really fucking creepy. After Charlie gets in trouble again, Scott suggests that Charlie do community service to avoid suspension. And Carol ropes Scott into helping as well. Probably the first scene where the sexual tension between them begins. Uh, To Charlie's disgust, a romantic relationship begins between Carol and Scott. Meanwhile, in the North Pole, toy clones... Toy clone Santa becomes very strict about the rules and takes over in a dictator-like fashion and even wants to give all children coal. Scott, running out of time in magic, confesses to Carol that he's Santa, but she doesn't believe him. Dejected, Scott hitches a ride with the Tooth Fairy in the North Pole to save the elves from plastic Hitler Santa. After Charlie (laughs) convinces Carol that his dad is Santa, they to hitch a ride with the tooth fairy and save scott and the elves after a tough fight scott and the elves defeat toy santa and his toy soldiers and he, he ends up marrying carol right before time runs out because why not you just met this man let's get married and he's santa claus so there we go boys that's santa claus too charlie should question his sexuality I feel like a better <laughs> subtitle would, would would be the Santa Claus to suspension of disbelief. Um, you really got to stretch it on this movie, <laughs> and and I did. It's fine, but you, yeah. it, I mean, you gotta you gotta really let it play out. 
absolutely and maybe it could also be called instead of charlie questions his sexuality charlie gets his first boner because i think he does get his first boner right before he's about to kiss the girl and falls into the uh ceiling of the gymnasium and starts uh tagging the wall with some pro christmas art real bad yeah yeah no he's a badass for sure really sticking it to him the war on christmas is happening in school and charlie's here to (laughs) fight it bill o'reilly must love that kid oh my god yeah (laughs) yeah all right so you guys kind of glossed over us and i'm gonna bring it up now because this is something this movie these movies are very political and they are definitely shifted to the conservative side of the political spectrum and it's ingrained within the plot and this is a prime example of it and we'll come back to this in the third movie too so that's a little foreshadowing (laughs) yeah it's true i mean there's definitely uh some some bias there i I think they, they really try hard not to but yeah the the fact that there's a literal war on christmas in this movie it says a lot <laughs> yeah and uh it, while watching the movie i realized that they were going with the war on christmas angle and they took the real cop out reasoning for it too she was like oh there's not enough funding for christmas decorations that would cut into the budget and i'm like oh just admit it you hate Christmas Carol. <laughs> Christmas Carol. Oh my God. Whoa. I, you know what? I didn't even think about that. Wow. Mind blown. I watched wow. that. Wow. Yeah. Check that. Wow. Out. That is a discovery. That, that is a that is a real moment happening here. Mind blown <laughs> in real time. Okay. I just put two and two together. We figured it out. And uh, it's, it's yeah. kind of fitting too because you really detest carol at at the beginning of this movie uh but eventually you kind of grow to like her you you just kind of get stuck in your head and you find yourself singing it before bed so you can't go to sleep uh that's kind of like the 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 christmas carol comparison yeah yeah that's a good one um (laughs) so let's see here uh let's get into this movie i mean so first of all Charlie, a teenager, thinks it's super cool and uh, super badass to spray paint pro Christmas stuff. And uh, it's got to be super dejecting for Scott to find out that his son, the son of Santa Claus, is on the naughty list. That has to be horrible for him to find out. And they didn't want to tell him. They didn't want to tell him. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, all these elves just spend these movies arguing about who's going to tell Scott the thing that they haven't told him. These uh, middle management people are really shitty at their jobs. They're just keeping secrets from their boss, the higher up guy who's doing a great job. He's got, you know, we, we talked about it uh, for the last movie a little bit. He's got morale up significant amounts, uh, according to the council of legendary figures which includes uh mother nature the sandman the tooth fairy that's where he comes in later on uh um, cupid yeah he, he wants to be called the molinator it's a little or fun roy. sequence there yeah roy. or roy i i guess that's his given name um i wonder how he became uh the tooth fairy i wonder if it's a similar process but instead he has to uh remove all the teeth from the previous tooth fairy (laughs) (laughs) do you think we'll get a spinoff 
Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> I, I want to see a movie about each individual legendary figure and how they became the legendary figure. Okay, we can let's expand this. What's the movie with Rock uh, or the Rock and he plays the Tooth Fairy? The tooth Fairy. I it's think called, it's called, it's the, called tooth the Tooth Fairy. fairy yeah. Okay. Is yeah. it a Disney movie? If so, maybe uh, it's connected. Uh, so, is it canon? Say, you think that's uh, canon? I'm going to call it because definitely it's set in the mid 2000s, probably when the movie came out, right? So 20, 2005. Probably 2010s. Even later. Better. That works out better because then you avoid the Roy passes the torch to <laughs> the one of the. We find out there are more tooth fairies. That's what it's about. Like we only see one of the tooth fairies uh, who sits on the council. He's like a representative. Like they vote him in. Like that's his process. They picked a bad one. Well, who knows? You know, it's democracy. Maybe. Democracy, or, democracy is broken. That is. That's fair. <laughs> That's the representative. Well, to be fair, if, if you look at real life and who we elect as representatives, he's better than the saying. representatives we elect who fuck us over every fucking day. So yeah. there you go. I, yeah. I like Roy better than anybody in Congress. Roy is Senate. still beholden to corporate donors. True. about it can we just you know keep going with the whole council thing here because i do like sure. it in fact uh part of the reason why i do like it is it expands the universe now of the santa claus like not only is there santa but there are these other legendary figures for the other holidays which is important for the next movie so it's kind of like building upon the lore from the previous one and all of the characters, I think, are absolutely funny. They make me laugh. Um, I don't remember any of them who they are, but like, I think they all have great moments and scenes. And the Easter Bunny is creepy as fuck. The creepiest Easter Bunny of yeah. all time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I, I I actually wrote that down as a note. It is yeah. scary. Did, did you guys watch the end credit bloopers for uh, three? Because it, yeah. they go right into that with uh, the, no. the scene where he's uh, creeping on uh, the mother-in-law there. Uh, and she's like straight up super uncomfortable every time they do a take and he knows it and he's playing uh, off of that. It's so it's, funny. His face is just real tough to look at. <laughs> yeah. And then on top of that, the ears just keep moving back and forth. It's pretty off putting. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. But yeah, it, that is interesting that like, even though this is a kind of small universe they do do a little bit of world building and that's actually a nice little touch that they acknowledge that there are these other holiday figures out there or seasonal figures uh so yeah that's a nice little touch that they put in there um well let's get into uh fucking toy santa how creepy that shit is bro i mean that... what a bad idea curtis yeah, well, first, I mean, Curtis is probably the worst, right? I mean, uh, if we were just yeah. to say, like, who the worst is, it's got to be Curtis. Yeah, in my notes, I have him as resident elf nerd. <laughs> what, what, he was in, like, a Disney show, right? Was he, um, was he from? Nothing? I don't Nothing know. comes to mind? All right. I, I thought he was, like, some, <laughs> like, prominent Disney actor at the time. Um, he probably he is. Be. I just don't know. Uh, I, I I totally recognize him from something, but I don't know what it is. Um, regardless, uh, it, Curtis is the worst. Uh, he he almost gets them caught by uh, the Coast Guard or the you know, whatever is flying over the North Pole of all places. Um, the conspiracy group. They're they're looking. They're searching. 
That's Q. Yeah. Oh, oh, you you think it's a private organization? This isn't a government thing. This that's a private organization trying to expose the North. Pole. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We that's this is why we have to ask these questions, Zach. We have to investigate. We have to find out. Okay. No, I just I feel like that's just like an awfully big investment for a private corporation to to make. But Zach, we're just asking questions, man. You know, I, I'm just playing devil's advocate. <laughs> we're just asking questions. All right. You're, Hashtag you're right. just asking questions. I'm, I'm the sheep. I get it. Yeah. Um, so he, he, he nearly gets caught by, you know, this, this, uh, this, this conspiracy group. Um, he doesn't, he keeps secrets from Santa. He makes the, the worst clone of all time. Uh, I mean, it, it, he, he's just a mess. And then he, after this movie, he becomes head elf. How? Tell me how, why Curtis? Yeah. Well, even worse, right after he makes the clone, he likes the clone because the clone becomes super rigid about the rules the way he is. He's like an ultra rule follower, which is not cool around the owls because they play it fast and loose there. They get shit done, but they've got high morale in the workshop. That That's the one thing that Scott Calvin's brought. He's brought just a fun work energy. He's a guy who you go to the office and he says, we have a lot of fun here, okay? We have a lot of fun. <laughs> we like to joke around. They do happy hour on Fridays. Absolutely at Applebee's. <laughs> yeah, come on, kids, let's go get some eggnog. We got bean bags in the office. <laughs> we got two dollar marks. Let's go. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, Curtis is a total downer. Uh, he's a super rule follower, and he brings this, like I put in the uh, little synopsis, Hitler Santa to power here. While Santa's fighting for his Santa life, essentially, over there in the real world, he is losing his power. He's becoming less and less of Santa day by day, minute by minute, especially when he uses some of his magic to help convince carol or help at that uh faculty party uh just all the things he has to do to try to expedite the process of her falling in love with him are these things that waste his magic and meanwhile they're letting a dictator run the north pole curtis is a fucking mess and he does not deserve to be head elf and he's only head elf because presumably bernard's dead in the next one i don't know what happened to him he just left a position open uh, apparently that's how things work in this universe. You die and then your job is suddenly open to everybody else. And Bernard even took a turn in this movie too. It's like, because of the introduction of Curtis, we had to dumb down Bernard and I don't know if dumb down is the right way of putting it, but it is. his character yeah. did change and no, I, I kind of didn't like it, but it, I like Bernard still. So I, I like Bernard a little less in this movie than I do in the first one but I surely miss him in the next one. So it it's sad what they do to the Bernard character. Um, hashtag not my Bernard, maybe, if I was a salty Star Wars fan for some reason. But yeah, it's like Bernard is kind of not ruined, but definitely brought down a peg from uh, this movie thanks to Curtis. Yeah. Yeah, so Absolutely. It, it, yeah, I think we're all in agreement. Um, Curtis, the worst. All right, so as we go on here, um, 
Well, Charlie gets super upset about that relationship going on uh, between his dad and Carol. Obviously, that's a huge point of conflict. Totally. And and before we get into their relationship, this the Mrs. Claus is oh, so that's right. We have the Mrs. Claus. He needs to find a wife before Christmas. But this is like six years after he becomes Santa Claus. Why all of a sudden does it kick in this year that if he doesn't become Santa or if he doesn't find a Mrs. Claus, he's not going to be Santa anymore? Like, because that's the no... movie the year came or the year the movie came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I get the I get the real world logic, but there's no yeah. attempt to explain that at all. Yeah. Um, even further than that, it occurred to me while watching these. Okay, so the Santa before him died falling off the roof. When he gets to the North Pole, there's no Mrs. Claus. There's no widow there. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, like, what happened to Mrs. Claus? Did she just disappear when he disappears? Uh, Maybe. (laughs) Or do the elves just off her? Uh, Like, well, Mr. Claus is gone. You're gone, too. We got to get rid of the evidence that there was everyone here. (laughs) Does she does she become a normal person like we get to in the third movie? Or do the elves just eat her cannibalize her? I don't know. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm I'm picturing it right now. As soon as the Santa Claus dies, all of a sudden the elves like get this feeling and they've been switched on like order 66 their chip <laughs> activates and they just all immediately stop what they're doing and they hunt down the mrs claus and she notices something's wrong at first so she tried to to escape so this whole time while tim allen is off delivering presents and whatnot the fucking elves are going after mrs claus right now trying to murder her she's she's like obi-wan escaping from the clones yeah, <laughs> yeah. she's the but she gets out she's out there she's using a giant candy cane instead of a lightsaber she, i like this universe we're building guys i do t- yeah. i'll tell you what this is probably the only in-depth conversation about the santa claus uh that anybody's gonna have about absolutely know, if universe. anybody's been clamoring for this this is the only place you're ever gonna get this this is exclusive content yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing, uh, but let's send this episode to Disney after this um, and really pitch this because they're getting a little darker, too. We can we can put that in there. Can anybody um, tell me why? Why? Why this is happening right now? I, I don't know. It, I mean, you said it like six years, I, even more than that, maybe because uh, Charlie is a little kid in the first one. It might be like 10 years, right? Uh, I really, yeah, I really don't know, but I mean, he, he's a teenager by the time this one starts, maybe a young teenager. So maybe it's not quite 10 years, but yeah, it, it seems like an arbitrary number of years, uh, since the first one happened that they're telling him that he needs to find a wife this Christmas. And, and they never mentioned you know, it before to give him any lead time. <laughs> to find a wife yeah. no we got to fit it in actually... two weeks you got two weeks yeah. to find a wife <laughs> yeah what? which if we look back at the first one it kind of contradicts especially bernard like the moment that santa gets there that scott gets there he is right on top of telling him okay this is the clause and this is why you're santa and you've got 11 months to get things straight like like bernard you said andy it. yeah 
he is on top of this shit. He's ready to go. He wants to keep this a well-oiled machine. But for some reason in this one, like you said, he's dumbed down a little bit and decides that he's not going to tell Santa. And then he puts it all on Curtis, who's a fucking terrible elf. And it's on both of them, essentially. They're both being idiots in this. And you really got to question, why did they wait this long to tell him? Yeah. I, I, all right. I, I guess I guess we're never going to find out. I just. Yeah, that's one I, I thing don't think there's really... an in canon explanation for it. No, but I'm definitely going to definitely going to request it. Um, yeah, I'm going to tweet. Do you think uh, Matt Martin knows? <laughs> Can I tweet Matt Martin? <laughs> Is he part of the story group? Uh Okay, a little too inside baseball there. Uh, (laughs) Forget what I said. Um, So so that's the Mrs. Claus. And then we uh, hijinks ensues. He's got to go back to his hometown and and find a wife in two weeks. Yep. Um, Yeah. So that starts the conflict uh, between uh, him and his own child, because uh, first of all, that's his mortal enemy right there. Carol Newman, the principal is Charlie's mortal enemy because she's so anti-Christmas. He's got to tag everything in sight. He's the Banksy of Christmas. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, she's going to suspend him until Scott suggests the community service. They get all roped into it. And uh, that's when uh, they start having that connection there. Uh, But a little bit further, too, Charlie explains and like gets super emotional uh to scott later on in this movie about like i have the best dad in the world who has the best job in the world i can't tell anybody about it and it breaks my heart i did find it funny though that the comparison was like you know my friends can tell me that their dads are plumbers and i'm like i mean yeah but that doesn't compare to santa claus so like that's not it's not really the best example here, Charlie. Like maybe if you had a friend who had a dad who was a fireman or something like something really that meant something, I, I would get where you're coming from here. So he kind of comes off as a little whiny in that scenario. But uh, there are a couple of father son conflicts in this movie. Yeah. So, so I guess my main point was uh, compared to the other movie, there's more conflict between a teenage Charlie who's emotional about not being able to share the wonderful news of his dad being Santa. And on top of it, Santa's trying to bone his principal, who he hates. I can't imagine what he's going through there. No, you're right. I mean, it's actually kind of funny. Like, they do a really good job at, like, pulling Scott Kelvin in all of these directions and really really testing his resolve in in these situations between his conflict with charlie his his conflict of having to find a wife and then the the uh chaos going on at the at the north pole like he's got all of these touch points that he's just trying to keep together um and it's it's actually really they they did a good job at kind of um uh, expanding the plot a little bit in that way well and let's keep in mind here too this all stems from the moment where they kind of have that first interaction and it's well not even the first interaction it's after that but it's the first interaction where i'd say carol maybe starts to have feelings for him it's when she tells him that he's going to volunteer to do this thing he's being voluntold like why are you having him do this on like a day where it's like clearly setting up for something to spend time with this man 
more so. And what's kind of funny about it is Tim Allen is in like part of the fat prosthetic still. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. that's the moment Carol finds him an attractive man. She, yeah, you yeah. know, she's a chubby guy. That's her thing. She's in a chubby guy. Yeah, <laughs> it, and it gets to the point actually where like he starts becoming more and more just classic Tim Allen where she's like, are you okay? You seem to have lost a ton of weight in a short period of time. That is not healthy. Um, yeah, it, it, it is interesting to see that too. And like uh, she really falls for him when he's Tim Allen. And then when he gets back his powers and becomes Santa Claus again, it's just like a very quick transformation. He is fucking Santa and she's totally okay with it in the end of the movie. Uh, she, in fact, to the point, I, I love this line. I, I got to find it so I can like recite it perfectly because it's one of my favorite lines in these movies uh he tells her to get some rest when he's about to go on the sleigh at the end of the movie uh because we're gonna have a three-month honeymoon and i'm like oh shit they fucking yeah <laughs> dude santa fucks he does oh, yeah santa it, fucks. there's clear evidence of that in the third movie <laughs> it's, it's funny like, oh, absolutely I love that you mentioned that he that like as he's desantifying, like she finds she starts to find him attractive or like she's she actually takes notice of him and and notices his weight weight loss as well. And I wanted to point out, I feel like Peter Boyle is the only one in this franchise who is reasonable when it comes to the sanctification and desantification process when he's he's uh, his boss in the first movie. And he's like, what the fuck happened to you? He's like yeah. the only one that's like, dude, you got a problem. Everybody yeah. else By the is way, Peter like, Boyle is Father Time in the next two movies. Oh, you're right. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. I thought that was a fun little insertion of like, hey, Peter, you want to be in this one? Yeah. Uh, oh we don't God, have a so place funny, for right? your first character, but why don't you go ahead? Build it in, boys. How do we fit him in here? Was he purposely in um tim allen's life this whole time i can't remember his fucking name steve carnegie scott calvin scott calvin scott calvin um, <laughs> he's secretly inserted himself into scott calvin's life uh to be his boss so that way he could help with his transition uh by being like a negative driving force in his life to propel him towards the path of the santa claus I don't know. Maybe. I feel like it's more um, when Scott became Santa Claus, uh, he kind of pulled some strings to find out where Peter Boyle could kill Father Time to become Father Time. <laughs> like that. Well, yeah, that either way, this is the spinoff that we unfortunately don't get because uh, rest in peace, Peter Boyle. Uh, yeah. Great comedic actor. Uh yeah, I, I wonder if they were setting up for that kind of like uh, you guys remember when uh, with the X-Men movies, they did like uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Maybe it was <laughs> yeah. going to be uh, Santa Claus Origins Father Time. Yeah, that'd be perfect. I would love to see that. And the Tooth Fairy, let's go. My God, Disney, we're giving you so many ideas. Take them. Give the, us credit. The, take them. Several shows. <laughs> want royalties, though. Yeah. yeah, well, that's what I want more than anything. <laughs> um so where were we we were talking about uh the uh, uh newman falling for yep. uh santa claus and and he does all of this stuff to like 
I guess kind of like get her to put all the strings together at the end. Like he does the slay thing. Yeah, he like manipulates her. It, it like she doesn't even really take the bait until Charlie explains it to her. But he like lays all of these, you know, that lays this foundation to for him to fall back on. Like, remember all this stuff? This was this was me. Like, this is, you know. So when he when he actually tells her that he's Santa Claus, he, he at least tries to point to that evidence that uh, that he showed her. But she wasn't biting. Yeah, well, kind of similar to what we see in uh, Back to the Future when Doc Brown tells uh, his lover that he's from the future. Uh, Carol does not believe Scott Calvin that he's Santa Claus. And it's another situation where she thinks for some reason that he's trying to drive her away. Even though in that scene, he's like, please don't throw me out. I'm telling you the truth. I want to stay here. Uh, for some reason, uh, she can't reconcile with that. And she's another character. I don't remember what her uh, Christmas trauma was, but she's another character who has Christmas trauma, right? Do you remember, Andy? Oh, yeah. So her trauma was her parents were always fighting, except mm. for Christmas. They made a big deal about not fighting on Christmas. So it made her always feel neglected during Christmas time, and she didn't get the uh, doll that she wanted because of it. Right. right. That's which, right. Which she got at the holiday party. You know, when he he did all of his Secret Santa stuff. Yeah, which is a super fun scene as well, turning this uh, super drab uh, work party, which I think we've all either been to or have seen in some capacity, uh, a party that you just don't really want to go to, but you've got an obligation to go to. And somebody has to liven that shit up. And Scott Calvin, this dude... That's just the dad of a student of hers just livens that shit up, pulls presents right out of his ass, and everybody is like a kid again. He doesn't even have to give them alcohol. He doesn't spike the punch or anything. He just makes them feel the childhood joy that they missed out on uh, when they were kids. And, I, uh, yeah, really pulling on that uh, childhood trauma for everybody. Apparently everybody has not gotten the gift that they wanted to. And, uh, you know, it makes me think about me not getting an N64 when I wanted one. Oh, we <laughs> should do that as a thing. What is the gift that we should yeah. have gotten? Yeah, let's let's do that at the end. Uh, I, I can think of a few more, too. Oh, uh, but <laughs> man, you poor thing. Yeah, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, th th there's more to that that's really sadder that maybe I'll uh, make everybody sad about later. <laughs> oh, no, don't do that. Uh, that's funny. Now, you know, I, I, w during that scene, all I could think about is like, man, if this was a, a, like an adult movie, like he would just be like throwing out blunts and dime bags. And like, like it's like a euphemism for like bringing yeah. the drugs to the party. But they're uh, just sad Christmas toys instead. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's giving them that rush that they need it. It's given them that dopamine hit that they want. And, uh, you know, it's very similar to throwing drugs at everybody. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's and, what I'm uh, saying. If, if it were real Tim Allen, you know it would be throwing some drugs. That Exactly my point. Exactly my yep. point. He's yeah, always absolutely. got the... He's Tying it all the, together. A little bit of a hookup. <gasps> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was so loud. I love it. <laughs> Leaving that in. Oh, man. Uh, 
Yeah, so let's shift back to uh, the North Pole because we covered yeah. uh, everything with Carol and Scott. So at this point, she has rejected him. Uh, she doesn't believe him. And he has to go back to the North Pole and figure everything out anyway because he's still Santa. Even though he is desantifying, he is Santa. So he hitches a ride with the Tooth Fairy. He tries to get his tooth pulled out at first, and that's a fun scene between him and uh, Neil uh, where Neil's like, oh, yeah, the old toaster trick. Tie your tooth to a toaster and uh, just throw it down the fucking stairs. And every time they try any of these, it's just Tim Allen getting pulled by his mouth down to where the thing fell. It's never pulling out his tooth, so they fail. And luckily, Lucy, who we didn't even uh, introduce yet, mm. the daughter of uh, Scott's ex-wife, Laura, and Neil... Uh, she just so happens to have lost her tooth. So they uh, turn that into getting the tooth fairy there and they hitch a ride with the tooth fairy back to the North Pole. Uh, they get caught by evil dictator Santa and uh, they get tied up. Unfortunately, uh, what really saves them is we kind of touched on it. Charlie goes and talks to Carol, convinces her that it's real, that Scott is really Santa Claus. They hitch a ride with the Tooth Fairy. And Charlie, being as young as he is, probably has at least some looser teeth in there, maybe some baby teeth. And he gets one pulled out and they hitch a ride. So that's a funny little moment when uh, they get there. How'd you get here? And Charlie just smiles and you see the missing tooth in his mouth. Um, that is funny. So yeah. Yeah, so Carol believes it. They're there to save them. And uh, by the time they get them all untied and save all the elves, unfortunately, evil Santa just left on the sleigh. So there's a chase scene here, and it's uh, right up to the Aurora Borealis here. And Scott, unfortunately, has to ride this dog shit reindeer named uh, Chet. Chet. Was that the name of Yeah. Reindeer in training named Chet, which as much as I like the practical effects for the reindeer, I do have to say I hate the voices of the reindeer, uh, like the, <laughs> the gibberish talk, especially this one with the laugh. It's got a really disturbing sounding laugh, like a child laugh. I don't know if you guys noticed that on this one, but oh, big time! You know why? You know why I noticed that? It's because I think I, I'm 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 not positive. I should have looked this up, but I think the voice actor for Chet is the voice actor for Phil and Lil from the Rugrats, and it just totally triggered yeah. me. Yeah, we gotta look this up okay. right now. We gotta look this up yeah. right now. It's I like absolutely. I, it's I, I I had that that voice recognition where you're like I know that laugh like I know that voice. I'm pretty positive. Yeah, I'm looking that up voice. right now. Um, well, while you look that up, I, I I wanted to say yeah. too. I'm 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 glad you uh, brought up Lucy because she is she's not a huge part of this story in terms of plot, but she is a great device to kind of start the chain reaction of fixing everything right like she kind of convinces charlie to drop the cynicism pick the joy back up in the in the belief of christmas and you know you you know she i think she tells her like things might be different but he's still your dad and you love him um and you need to be there for him and then he convinces carol that uh, everything is real because uh lucy kind of restored his faith in christmas and the santa claus 
And that's when everything kind of, you know, uh, that's the, that, the again, that's the chain reaction we see that leads to um, the tooth fairy bringing in Carol and Charlie. What do we find on Phil yeah. and Lil? Uh, I'm still looking here. Oh, uh, she's the the voice actress for Phil and Lil here potentially has a very long resume of voice work. Yeah, I think she's a pretty um, big voice actor. Yeah. yeah. No, I think I got yeah. it. Um, her name is Kath. Kath Sochi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, I saw while going through here, uh, she voices uh, Ezra Bridger's mom in uh, Rebels. No kidding. Yeah, and she also voices a character in uh, one of the KOTOR games. I don't know which one, and I wasn't really paying attention. But just interesting little tidbit there. Uh, very prolific career for her. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, that that does, like, trigger it, though. Like, now that I hear it, it's the laugh of Phil and Lil, and I think that's why it was, like, super off-putting, because, like, it sounded like a baby to me. And I'm like, this, this doesn't add up. Uh, Chet's voice is very disturbing to me. <laughs> so, um, where did you leave off? Because I was really like deep into looking this shit up <laughs> while you were talking. All, I'm sorry. all I was, all I was saying was the um, uh, Lucy was kind of like the, the catalyst to to mm-hmm. br- to tie up all of our loose ends. Essentially, um, you know, she, yeah. like I said, she convinces Charlie that he needs to forgive his dad. Uh, so that he can convince Carol that his dad is a good guy and this is really what's happening. And that's right. Uh, to actually bring us to uh, the point where Carol is ready to marry this man that she just met not so long ago um, at the North Pole um, after just finding out that he is Santa Claus. Yeah. Yeah. So leading into that, there's the chase scene. Uh, he rides Chet. He redirects the sleigh. I think they crash the sleigh. I'm, I don't remember exactly. Um, it neither. Yeah, I don't remember how that how how that actually went down and what what happened yeah. to what did happen to Hitler Claus. I think they did crash. Did they crash? Yeah, I I think so, but I I wasn't paying too much attention at that point. Did they like? Uh, but either way, it, it leads to like a kind of small battle between the elves and Santa Claus with uh, evil Santa Claus and his giant toy soldiers. The Nutcrackers. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, snowball fighting going on. There's a lot of use of toys, which is kind of fun. Uh, Like toys deconstructing these toys. Uh, There's one point where a bunch of the elves like take out like power tools and literally deconstruct these toy soldiers. (laughs) That's right. Uh, yeah, so it, it's using everything the elves have at their disposal, and it ends with uh, them winning, and they shrink Hitler Claus to be the size of a regular toy again, ah, and he's doomed. Happened. Right? Yeah, he he's doomed to be a dancing Santa Claus toy later on in the movie, uh, as it ends. So yeah, it really this movie culminates with uh, Scott. Uh, talking to Carol, she's like, I believe. And she has to take a minute to like really consider like, do I leave my entire life behind to marry this man who like, yes, is Santa Claus, but also I've only known him for a couple days and I've only known him as the dad of a student at my school. Like, what do I do here? So she takes a little bit of time, but she 
says yes with the insistence of uh, Judy kind of coaches her along with what to say. And uh, they get married. Scott stays Santa. Uh, he be re-becomes Santa, I guess. And uh, he goes out and delivers some gifts with uh, Teenage Charlie. And that's pretty much where we leave it, right? Yeah, I don't think there's much more to it than that. Um, yeah. Uh, do you want you guys want to point out anything else about this movie before we move into the third one? Uh, Overall thoughts? Not really. I think we touched on everything, even including like the little fun moments in this. I, no, I think I, I got really one. I got one for us. Okay. Um, we I can't believe we glazed over this. Is the date that Scott goes on? So he uh, oh, yeah. with Molly Shannon, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. you know, first trying to go on this journey to find the Mrs. Claus, his ex-wife sets him up with someone who's fucking obsessed <laughs> with Christmas. So, you know, like that must be why, like, oh, she's single. She loves Christmas. Perfect. They're going to go great together. But she is clearly looking for the D real bad like she's ready to slob all over it and it's going to be this guy but the problem is she embarrasses herself by singing a christmas song i don't remember which one it was uh she she sings a christmas version of uh man it feel or man i feel like a woman okay uh, by shania twain (laughs) that's it yeah that's very uncomfortable and there's a long such a cringe scene (laughs) yeah Everyone, all the other patrons are just staring at her. It's insane. I can't like funny. Oh my god, so awkward. But like, yeah, it is a a, a really funny, a really funny moment. I love Molly. Yeah, well, that's Molly Shannon to a T. Is just like cringe comedy as much as you can bear until the very end. (laughs) She's so great at it. She's so great at making you feel uncomfortable. And it's so funny. <laughs> and I love his reaction to it, too. He's like, I just I, I, that was that was a lot. <laughs> that was, I yeah. don't know what to say. I really put myself out there. OK, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good call. That was a great scene. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. Uh, any others before we move on to three? I I don't think so. I the the, the this is just such a creepy movie i the 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 yeah the plastic santa just really makes me so uncomfortable and the fact that yeah. he like literally dresses like like a south african dictator is just crazy yeah. <laughs> it's, it's some disturbing imagery in there yeah definitely sure definitely um yeah no i think with larry let's let's uh let's wrap this one up and uh move into the santa claus three the escape clause uh this one featuring martin short so you know we're gonna get a musical number that's what i that's what i was looking forward to you can't have a movie with martin short without him singing something you know this is true it's (laughs) written into every contract it is uh very similarly to how tim allen has to be not fat at least in one sequence every movie in this franchise (laughs) That is definitely contracted. So um, anyway, so after opening um, the uh, the the opening scene is is Carol is uh, is pregnant and she is we have a false alarm that she's going to have the baby. And it's this we open to chaos. They're running through the the workshop and get to the hospital. 
Um, and uh, we see it's a false alarm. So at this point, she's like, all right, this is Christmas time. She tells Scott that she wants her parents to come visit the North Pole for the birth of the child, which is going to cause a problem. So to pull this off, they're going to have to pretend that the North Pole is not the North Pole and instead is just generically Canada. <laughs> this is just not a bad idea. Canada. Uh, meanwhile, the, the Council of Legendary Figures... Uh, finds Jack Frost, uh, the aforementioned Martin Short, guilty of trying to upstage Scott and is sentenced to work in, in Santa's workshop uh, for the holiday. So uh, Frost is, he's clearly our antagonist here. He's up to no good, and he uh, actually eventually tricks Curtis, uh, our the best elf in the whole world. Um, who, Fucking idiot. Who now, who now is uh, somehow... Uh, older uh, from his 900-year-old past. We'll we'll get into that. Um, Telling him about the escape clause. Basically that uh, if if Santa says that he doesn't, he wishes he was never Santa again with this very specific um, uh, snow globe, then we... We we can have a time shift. We can have something that actually changes the um, the lineage of Santa Claus. So Jack begins enacting a plan to become Santa, sabotaging the workshop and alienating Scott's in-laws against him. When Scott is at his lowest, Frost tricks him into holding the magic snow globe while saying that he never want to become uh, or he he wished that he never became Santa at all. Uh, and here we go. Uh, we, we're changing time. So Frost steals the coat. Uh, that uh, was on the dead Santa back in, what, 95? Is that when the first one came out? I don't really remember. I think so. Is it 95? Some, somewhere around there. Um, yeah. But then basically we go into an alternate reality. Um, he's still the the Scott Calvin businessman, um, but it's in, he's now modern day. Charlie hates him. Neil and Laura are divorced. Um, and Frost has turned the North Pole into a, a resort, essentially, like a, a, a theme park. So, uh, Scott does find Lucy and Neil at the North Pole and kind of employs Lucy to help him uh, get the snow globe and change everything back. Um, So, uh, towards the end of the movie here, Lucy hugs Frost, warming his heart and unfreezing the victims, uh, which were her parents, uh, and he's just kind of stuffed them away for the whole movie. So, that was kind of interesting. Um, And then... We see our our spawn of Santa, buddy. Yeah, that's that's yeah. that's the third movie. So um, this was weird. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, was. Yeah, this is it's it's a really strange movie. Uh, I think that you know if we know that there's the Santa Th- the Santa Claus three after Santa Claus one, it's probably going to be about his kid, right? I mean it. Or or his potential spawn, you know. We're we're gonna. It's just kind of the progression that we see through these movies and the uh, growth of Santa Claus. Um, but this was a weird way to play it out. What do you guys think? It wasn't the, the baby clause though, so it's weird because this is the one where it actually diverges from what it is because it's they introduce the escape clause, right? So it's this whole thing about like, oh, how do you get out from being the Santa? There's well, no more. Thing he has to do it's just like oh if i were to do this one thing we're introduced to this other character who's now going to try to 
do that thing for him. So it's the first time it kind of turns it on its head for what the the plot is of the movies. Sort of, but it, it's it's very directly related to his family issues. You know, he's now now he he sees this potential for a healthy, happy family, but he also has this immense pressure of being Santa Claus and trying to balance the two uh, proves to be difficult for him during this movie. Um, and so that's the reason why we see the escape clause even come up um, is because of the, of the, the family issues that he's experiencing. Yeah. And on top of that, uh, you get like, and Scott spells this out for everybody in the movie, uh, he starts fearing that he's going to fall back on his old habits and uh, essentially screw things up with this family like he did the first one. So he's like, you know, things were going great with my first family and then we had our child and then I got consumed with work and he's afraid of doing all of that while at the same time falling into those habits. He is becoming way too consumed with work. There are several moments where he's either taken away by elves to fix an issue or they're calling his phone and he keeps trying to ignore it, but they keep calling him and it causes conflict with Carol. It causes conflict with the in-laws because they see what's happening. Uh, They don't want their daughter to be in a relationship where she is going to be ignored and she's not going to be treated the way that she needs to be. So it causes all this conflict. And even though Jack Frost orchestrates a lot of it and exacerbates it, These are things that were probably bound to happen anyway, with just all of the pressure of the child coming, the in-laws coming. And on top of that, this is right before Christmas, the biggest day of the year at Santa's workshop. And meanwhile, he's got to pretend he's in Canada. Canada. It's hard to run your place when you're pretending it's something else. I'll say that. Speaking of Canada, so that's the plot device. (laughs) That is actually pretty funny. It's really Um, funny. That's used to allow Carol's parents, the in-laws, to come up to the North Pole, which kind of contradicts. There's a little bit of retconning here, our previous understanding of Carol's parents. Because in the last one, her childhood trauma is the relationship, the poor relationship with her parents and what happens on Christmas because of that. So now we're led to believe in this movie, oh, yeah, well, they're just these, you know, bumbling typical movie in-laws who you know dad's the does all of the you know type of work and stuff now he's retired woodworking and whatnot um very similar to your dad actually zach not gonna lie similarity <laughs> there. He well, just said your dad's bumbling <laughs> i was actually gonna say all right, so that. that's not a similarity no i I, under, I understand what you're saying but it's it's funny that you mentioned that because i think that like so we see that you know her parents are are relatively supportive in this movie right but it, it, in the last movie we hear from her that it, as a child they they really didn't get along and it was kind of a strenuous household but i think that it's as we as we progress as adults and in just in just people in general that can change so that is I, I find it funny that you say it retcons it. Um, I like I really enjoy the, uh, the the analysis that you put into that, but uh, I think that uh, we just have to kind of overlook that in, in terms of character growth. Of course, of course. <laughs> I can't. Uh, it's I I, I I I love 
I love that we are talking about this franchise like right now. Yeah, it's so funny. that's the thing I was just <laughs> thinking so about is like the people that wrote this movie were thinking the exact opposite. They're like, well, there's no way anybody is <laughs> exactly. ever going to nitpick these movies or give a shit. So we can do whatever we want. And that's fine. <laughs> uh, and honestly, as far as retcons go, it's a small one compared to ones in more serious series that people actually give a shit about. So it's not that much of a foul. Um, Hold on. Before we move on, let's backtrack a little bit. Um, Can we talk about the worst elf of all time and how he is now Mm -hmm. the head fucking elf? How did that happen? Again, I think he killed Bernard. You think he killed Bernard? I mean, honestly, he might as well have. He killed Bernard, put on Bernard's cool hat, which he's not wearing in the movie for some reason, but... Then he became Bernard. <laughs> yeah, that that that's the coat in this case is Bernard's cool hat. Yeah, that makes sense. That that's the in-universe explanation that I can think of. That makes sense. And he does age uh, in this movie physically from the last time that we saw him about yes. six years ago. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, he's about thirteen years old and had a, quite a growth spurt. Yeah, I I would I the, I wanted to bring it up because I do think that it's explainable in that like you know maybe the head elf is the only one that like ages physically when they become head elf. What if okay. I, maybe that's the magic of the position? I'm gonna go I with the, get behind that the stress of middle management, um, leading <laughs> to age in. And... It, it could be. I mean, that's definitely what caused my hair loss. So it's very See, possible. I mean, very possible. You know what? Again, we're coming up with great in-universe explanations for things. There's so much money to be made here, Disney. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Spinoffs on spinoffs. It's going to be a series um, on Disney Plus. Oh my god! Yeah. Can you imagine if they announced it at the investor meeting? <laughs> I'll be, take. Bob. Be very. Yeah. Could you? Yeah. Get Bob. Get Bob, Bob. on the line. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's talk about Jack Frost. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack Frost, uh, the nefarious Jack Frost in this movie. He's he's up yeah, to no good. He's, he's like a tertiary legendary figure, too. I I found that kind of odd because uh, the, the whole thing is like he's upstaging Santa. And it seems like at least from what we see of the legendary figures, there's only one legendary figure per season or holiday. But for some reason for Christmas, Jack Frost is also there. And I I wonder if it's just specifically because like Jack Frost is a thing in Christmas lore, or if there are more like maybe there's a counterpart to the Easter bunny. Uh, Maybe, maybe that's Jesus. You know, resurrected Jesus. <laughs> do, do we know? Um, we're just adding. Know, and, and, we're just adding to this world, man. And where's baby Jesus in this? If we're talking about Christmas, I mean, let's be honest here. This is a pretty um, secular universe. We don't get a lot of yeah. Yeah, image true. in Christmas movie. So I'm going to say the Christ figure does not exist, and instead, our religious and uh, belief system structures in this universe surround the the figures we see the legendary figures yeah okay so jack frost 
fuck, fuck that guy. So he actually succeeds in his plan to get Santa to renounce his Santa ship, essentially. Um, he kind of manipulates him into holding uh, holding the globe that uh, he got from following Lucy and Santa into the Hall of Snow Globes. Is that what, if I remember correctly, that's what it's called? Um, I don't remember what it's called, but that sounds right. I think it's the Hall of Snow Globes, uh, which, uh, it, like, it's just, I find it very funny, like, what they put emphasis on as in terms of, like, you know, uh, important objects. Snow globes apparently is is the important totem here. Um, so the new MacGuffin introduced in the universe. The right. thing that when you become a Santa, uh, it's like your contract, basically. So it holds and it's magical. So even after you die, it just hangs around and floats in a in a museum. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's kind of cool. I like the I actually like the aesthetic of it when they walk in. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so Frost finds the snow globe that he's looking for and he gives it to Santa Claus as a present after basically ruining their family's time. Like he manipulates everything to cause conflict between Scott and his in-laws, um, making it really difficult for him to focus on everything that's going on at the North Pole. And so at, at that time... He's feeling very frustrated and Frost knows it. So he gets him to admit that there are times that he wishes he was never Santa Claus at all while holding the snow globe. And they go back in time to see to kill Santa again. I know this poor uh, guy. It's super morbid. Uh, Santa dies three times if you count them all in this series uh, and twice in this movie. It's pretty rough for that guy. And who knows about Mrs. Claus? Again, I, I know <laughs> an unanswered question that we need answers to. What did the elves do with her? I'm looking squarely at the elves because they're the ones who acted like everything was all hunky dory and ready to go. Once Scott Calvin got there again, it also um, throws it's not a retcon, but it is a weird wrench to throw in this universe now, which is time travel, because that, in the synopsis you read, it's referred to as like a different dimension, I think, but um, it's actually not. It's I think it says like literally in the thing, the escape clause that it's to go back in time and, you know, choose a different path in that moment or whatever. I'm, not, I'm obviously, you know, uh, paraphrasing what the clause is, but it's something the effect that. So if there's time travel in this, couldn't it just like father time help him out with this and help or does father time not work like that does he not control the timeline what is father time's purpose among the legendary characters well we'll find out in disney plus's upcoming series i hope Santa so Claus, father time. yeah who's gonna play the young peter boyle we need somebody who's lost all of their hair larry david. larry david Yes, Jewish Larry David <laughs> is going to play Father Time in the universe that's strictly tied to Santa Claus. It's perfect. Bernard's Jewish, so it makes sense. <laughs> well, that's pretty, 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 uh, pretty fucked. <laughs> that role nicely. Who? Yeah. Tom Hilston. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Let's shave his fucking head. Let's do it. Why does I feel like Tom Hilson is thrown around as like a young many people. <laughs> I'm just, that's what all I'm doing right now. Yeah. Is I'm throwing up. <laughs> Cl- classic uh, IMDb fan casting where it's like, hey, he kind of looks like the person that I wanted to be. I uh, don't know about his acting skills, but let's cast him. Either that or Sebastian Stan, you know, one of those guys. Right, right. Yeah. yeah don't listen to us. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you're right, Andy. They, go, they, they do go back in time, basically with the opportunity to change the timeline. Um, so if, like, I guess the, the point being, like, if Scott just went back by himself, and said that he I guess he would technically have the opportunity to like rethink it. Like if even if he said, I wish I wasn't Santa Claus at all, he could still go through with the scenario and, and become Santa Claus later on. But uh, right. in this he case, could kill Santa Claus again, take his coat again. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then become Santa repeat, Claus. again. Yes. It, it, right. Repeat history. It, um, he also gets to relive Claus. killing Santa Claus, which if that's something that he likes to do and he wants to revisit, that might be fun for him. I mean, it's a, it's happened a couple times in this movie so far. So, um, yeah. so in this case, though, Jack goes back with him and is able to subdue Scott Calvin and steal the jacket off of uh, the uh, disappeared, murdered Santa Claus. Uh, but it happens differently this time because in the first Santa Claus, it's when um, Scott comes out and shouts up to Santa. And then that startles him and he falls. In this I didn't notice one, that. Yeah. it's Frost who does it. So he like even changes the timeline. Yeah. And yeah. Was that was that on per like did he do that prior to Scott coming out? Is yeah. that why? Yeah, he I helped? think so. Uh because what when we get to the later scene when Scott reverses everything again and they gives himself out. another chance, uh they're wrestling on the ground and unfortunately uh the past scott kelvin comes out before that so instead of him uh that scott kelvin getting the coat he has to allow the scott kelvin from the past to get it so then that warps him back into his timeline which is kind of fuzzy logic but you know it's santa claus i mean yeah we've got a lot of fuzzy logic here yeah so once once Jack puts on the jacket, uh, they're both transported to, um, I guess, the alternate timeline, right? Uh, which is, right. you know, Scott is in modern day, but now the, the businessman he would have been had he not become Santa Claus in the first place. And then Jack uh, has changed the North Pole for the worst into some hybrid... In, encampment theme park uh, with elf slaves who are clearly not happy they yeah, make nah. a point to show you just how like sad they are to be there yep. yeah <laughs> the elves are much happier making toys for no money not collecting money for no money yeah, yeah. So, slave labor and is child is, slave is, labor yeah, and right. I think yeah. that's like one of the things also that's off putting to me is like I'm seeing these things 
children that are playing these beings that are supposed to be just totally happy with their existence of making toys for no compensation other than they get to live in this village with Santa. I don't know. There seems to be commerce, though. So maybe they aren't slaves at all. Maybe it is literally like, no, they just they work there. They live there. It's their society. It's a surf class. Yeah, they're they're well, they're just the working class. Maybe we don't get to see other parts. Maybe there's like a bourgeoisie um, in the North Pole who who don't work and they just live off the capital of the working elf. This is Republican Santa Claus. No, I, I would imagine you're correct. True. I would imagine That's you're true, correct. Yeah, there's definitely a capitalist system going on if Tim Allen is Santa Claus. I, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Either way, they're not happy about the situation, and it's a total shit show. And not only that, when we've got Scott Kelvin, he's clearly not happy in his new old scenario of being the businessman who doesn't care about his family and immediately goes to find his family. So he goes to Charlie and his mom's house, knocks on the door. Charlie is clearly not happy to see him. And uh, he's like, I just came to visit. And they're like, what for? You never visit. Like, we never see you. What what are you doing here? And uh, Charlie looks like, I don't know. He's got a bad attitude, at least. I, I think they're implying that he's like some kind of delinquent type uh, outside of the fact that he was like spray painting shit with Christmas all over it in the last movie. Uh, he, he just seems to have a super bad attitude about everything. And then Laura is definitely not happy to see him, especially because now she is divorced from Neil and he's asking where Neil is and all this stuff. And he's finding out everything in real time about what this alternate timeline situation is. So from there, he finds out that uh, the North Pole is a resort. And luckily, because of that, it makes it very easy for him to get to the North Pole. He doesn't have to pull the strings that he did in the last movie with the Tooth Fairy. If it's uh, accessible by regular people, then he can get there. So he presumably buys a ticket uh, on the next flight out to the North Pole, uh, gets a ticket to go inside, and he stumbles upon Neil and Lucy in there and uh, another person who's not happy to see him. And, uh, you know, from there, he somehow, I don't know how, but he somehow convinces Lucy to help him out. Like, hold on, we just glazed over a very important point here which is Neil and his relationship. Somehow Scott Calvin is such a bad dad. That oh, that's right. He ruined his relationship, but because he was such a poor father to Charlie, it ruined the relationship between Neil and what's her face. Yep. Laura. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Cause he had to pick up the slack from that is what he was saying. Right. Essentially. Yeah. He wasn't, he, he, he didn't sign up for the pressure of being, you know, both the dad and the stepdad, you know, and covering for him. Yeah. Um, and and I, I really think they did a good job at illustrating, you know, the what what could have been and the, and how different things would have been had Scott not necessarily become Santa Claus, but just had a change of heart in general, um, you know, and, and changed his mindset from um, the bad sales dad to um uh, family man essentially 
Yeah, what happens if you don't put on the dead man's coat? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I mean, he does he does convince Lucy to help him essentially by saying like um you know come on (laughs) (laughs) come on it's weird because in that moment where he meets up with lucy and neil at first she like barely acknowledges him and like like doesn't even essentially barely knows him like she knows that it's charlie's dad and that's about it so for her to be so off put by him then and then for him to like just kind of beg her a couple of times and then for her to be like okay i'll go in the behind the scenes area here and steal from santa claus and i i wish they did a little more with that like maybe if there was some kind of like timeline breakthrough where like you can see it on her face where like maybe she realizes he's santa kind of like a mandela effect kind of thing if they did that and i know these movies aren't serious but like even that for a kid's movie i feel like they put in zero effort for that to really come to fruition all right let me try to answer it canonically (laughs) lucy at the end we learn has a power oh it's foreshadowed previously um when scott says that her hugs uh have the ability to, to warm him up so maybe she is like legendary sensitive and knows because of what you're saying, essentially, Ted, is like kind of this Mandela effect. The crossing of the timelines, if you will, is that she senses and her legendary sensibility has now perceived him to be trustworthy. And, you know, she she feels this urge it's coming from like some force within her to act this way. Once again, you, you blow my mind with your ability to uh, connect the the canon in this. It, it's truly amazing. Disney needs us to write the spinoff series. Well, I, I mean, let's just I, this is why. Yeah, you. Love I can't the sequel please. trilogy so much. You are able to just find connections. <laughs> Where, whether they're there the or not wanted them there or not <laughs> tell you about them yep. you gotta dig deep and boy do you dig deep well done <laughs> this is exactly what they intended um yeah so uh from there lucy is convinced to go get the snow globe she goes and grabs it uh scott confronts jack frost And he's obviously cognizant of what happened because they're both aware that they were in a timeline and things got reversed uh, because they got warped back in time from uh, the snow globe and the magic of that. He goes, has it been 12 years already? (laughs) Yeah. I've been expecting By the way, like as much as I think the work they do, like practically with the makeup for Jack Frost is really good. It's really weird to see him with like the spiky beard. <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree. I don't know. It, it looks it looks less like a beard and looks more like something dangling from him, like gross almost. It, it's kind of weird, uh, more off putting stuff in this series. But either way, he confronts him. They get into it, and uh, right before he's gonna have scott taken away by the police or guards or whatever that are there 
Lucy comes out with a snow globe and Scott tells her to throw it to him. And as he planned, uh, obviously Frost doesn't know this. Frost intercepts it and thinks that he's foiled the plan. And he's like, well, I have the snow globe in my hand, but you'll never get me to say uh, what you want me to say. Kind of glossed over this earlier, but he actually records on a pen recorder kind of deal. Jack Frost saying those exact words that he wishes he was never Santa Claus. And he plays that back while he's holding the snow globe. And that triggers the time warp and they go back in time uh, to the moment again. Uh, But they're wrestling on the ground this time because Scott's ready for it and he's holding them down and he lets past Scott come out, do his thing, kill Santa, take his coat, (laughs) become Santa. And then everything is righted and they go back to the respective timeline that they're supposed to be in. Can I just say that uh, these clauses uh, play it pretty loose uh, in terms of the, what they're willing to accept as 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 a trigger? <laughs> he literally played a yeah. recording off of a a cheap pen, and, two thousand four recording pen. Yeah, <laughs> right. And and somehow this snow globe accepts this trigger as Jack Frost saying that he doesn't want to be Santa at all. <laughs> it's just That's weird. magic, baby. <laughs> that's baseball baby <laughs> <laughs> glad you got that um yeah uh, you know you gotta play it fast and loose in the santa claus universe otherwise you don't have a santa claus universe yeah and they do uh, and yeah anyway yep so yeah that reverses things uh scott makes up with his in-laws and carol he essentially says you know we had a disagreement we're gonna have disagreements because we're family we deal with it we make up and we're good to go and that's like his realization that like as long as he doesn't put this pressure on himself and understands that he does need to make time for them that everything will be okay there will be disagreements everything won't be holly and jolly like it always was before Uh, but it'll still be great and they'll get through it as a family. So after that, uh, Frost is, what is Frost doing at this point? I I know he's like in front of everybody, but I don't really remember like what he's trying to do at this point. Well, after they they get back um, to the original timeline. So he basically gets arrested. That's uh, right. By the elf police. Elf police. And then they try to get him, uh, to unfreeze uh, Lucy's parents, uh, mm-hmm. but he refuses to do so, and that's where Lucy uses her power uses her powers to hug Jack Frost, which warms his heart, thus ultimately unfreezing uh, her parents. Yeah, and unfreezing him. Uh, I think that was the caveat as well, is he can't unfreeze somebody unless he is unfrozen. Yeah. Um, so then he turns into... Uh, super creepy looking dude with uh, rosy ass cheeks. He, he looks like an elf at that point, I guess. He's got the pointy ears. Is that supposed to imply that maybe he was an elf before and uh, went he's just wicked? Like a, yeah, he's just like a, a, a an elf that got somehow glorified to be Jack Frost. Yeah. It's unclear uh, at some point in time what the elfin mythology is within. Um, there could be like subspecies of, you know, different types of elves. 
right. Well, we'll find out in the upcoming right. Santa Claus prequel, the Santa Claus Jack before Frost. Whoa. I like that. I like yeah. that. Right? What yeah. what cools his warm heart? Whew, man. We're making money, boys. Right we'll to find out. Honestly, it does. So is that going any direction? Movie? Huh? Uh, pretty much. Um, yeah. Yeah, as far as the plot of this thing goes and all that, breaking it down. Yeah. Well, here's um, one last thing. One last thing about the plot. So um, we we didn't really talk about it too much, but there is the also the secret of Santa Claus. Uh, which is the, basically the reason why they had to disguise the North Pole as Canada when Carol's parents come up. But then at the end of the movie, they kind of just like freely are like, yeah, I guess there's no avoiding this now. Like, yeah, it's, I'm Santa. You're at the North Pole. Families don't have secrets. Yeah, but they have gossip. <laughs> yeah, but it, it just it seems like they they made it a pretty important thing to keep it from them to protect the sanctity of the North Pole, I guess. Like, I didn't really well, I don't know what the repercussions was, were. I don't remember what the repercussions they, were, but they said that uh, it's because their par- or her parents couldn't keep secrets. So that was the only reason. Oh, her parents in particular. Is yeah, that what it was? OK. All right. Yeah. I gotcha. I, I forgot I exactly what <laughs> right. I, I can relate to that. I've got family that uh, you cannot tell anything to. Um, yeah, me too. I'm married yeah, to it. I, yeah, um, I, I was going to say that they're inextricably, inextricably linked. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, <laughs> well, uh, let's get into some of the other stuff in this movie. So like, uh, we talked a little bit about Jack Frost, but uh, Martin Short, he plays it up. He hands it up this entire time. He's clearly having a good time in this movie. Kind of what I enjoy about these movies is like you can tell Tim Allen really enjoys himself during these. Yeah. And especially with Martin Short in there, another like very just right in your face comedian, uh, overacting comedian like that. Like he just really plays it up. And uh, it, even though he's not my favorite person of all time, uh, it it really works as him as Jack Frost. It's the perfect cast, really. I mean, like he's just like he fits these these family movies so well. Is he just he, he's so over the top with everything? He's just this over dramatic person, just in general. And I, yeah. I just I love it. It just it fit the Jack Frost character so well. Um, and again, you can't have a, a Martin Short movie without a little Martin Short musical number. <laughs> North That's Pole, true. North Pole, instant classic. Yeah, instant classic. It, it's something. <laughs> I uh, sing it around the holidays all every year. Do you now? That. North Pole, North Pole. Yeah, it's the best. No. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, well, we've also got uh, Bud Newman. Uh, that's Carol's father who's introduced in this movie. Uh, and He's not super fond of Scott at the beginning, but uh, obviously, like everybody in these movies, it seems like the moment they find out he's Santa Claus, they're like, 
oh shit, I like this guy now. And <laughs> yeah, uh, bad dude. Yeah, and, and he calls himself uh, Father Christmas in Law, I think, yeah. or, or Father in Law Christmas, uh, which is just a cute little moment where he's like, "Yeah, I like that title." Uh, and then we get uh, Carol's mother, Sylvia Newman, who pretty much just goes along with what he says and what he does. And uh, really the only moment you see any character from her is when she's flirting with Jack Frost a lot, when they're uh, sipping some, uh, what is it? Uh, Chococinos or whatever they're having. Uh, Chococinos. So, uh, and I mentioned in here in my notes, Andy, uh, you like to bring up whenever you think somebody's uh, a bit of a cuck. And I, I saw like <laughs> that kind of going on there where, where they're flirting together. Maybe Bud's a cuck, you know, maybe he's OK with that kind of stuff. I, I want kind of wanted to know what your thoughts were on that. I don't think so. No, not at all. He he's definitely um, not a cuck, but he's so disengaged from his wife and kind of finds her annoying that in this moment she is just like longing for the attention that mm. Bud does not give her. Yeah. Oh, well, really? you heard it first from our uh, resident cuck expert, Andy. Yeah, I identify the the cucks and the uh, the simp's in these franchises. Oh, absolutely. See, I think after the movie, Bud and and uh, the you know the the parents went up to Jack Frost like, "Hey, what do you think about coming home with us tonight?" Really? The, yeah, I think it's I think it's like the uh, like a thruple type situation mm. at the end. Yeah. yeah, share my wife, not yeah. necessarily me in the corner, but yeah, yeah, I I can see that. That's not a that's not a cock then. No, it, no. You're right. It's not. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's not. Um, <laughs> don't know really what you'd call that. I guess uh, swingers, swingers more yeah. than anything. Yeah. So that's pretty much it for the new characters introduced in here, right? Uh, just the in laws and Jack Frost. I, yeah, I think we got to wrap this movie up. That's it. I think that's yeah. Let, let's it, do guys. it. There's a, a joke about Democrats in this from uh, Bud. So even like furthering this notion that this is a conservative centric movie franchise where it's something to the effect of like the people all like uh, they'd be Democrats or something like that. And then ha 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 laughs it off. Hmm. That's a good catch. I don't remember I, that. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't catch that. I definitely didn't pay as much attention to this one as I did the other ones. I kind of rushed through this one a little bit and uh, just kind of jotted down the main points when I was watching it. But that's a good catch. Anything that you saw, Zach? Uh, Red Bull, proud sponsor of the Santa Claus ah, 3, the Red Escape Deer, Clause. yeah. Yep, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Really weird um, that for that to be the... I, I thought they run on cocoa. Why do they need Red Bull? It's 2005. Baby. Maybe it's maybe it's for the reindeer though. It it's red deer, right? So maybe it's for the reindeer to is that feel the purpose Red Bull gives you wings. Oh, help them fly. Is that it? I mean, think about is that, that. The whole. Oh my god, I think you're right. I think yeah. you're right. That that makes sense. Yeah, it just occurred to me, but I think that's uh, got to be what it is. What you're they're right playing off that. of. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. I think Chet just had probably just too much Red Bull. Then, right? Is that? Yeah, Red Deer, I rather. think so. I think that's um, probably it probably good. leads to more uh, reindeer farts. Uh, it, 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 actually, this explains a lot. Good catch. Yeah, I think we get this. Good catch. Yeah. Man, I'm glad we brought we that have, up. 
we have expanded this universe more than anybody could ever ask for. Yeah, the only other thing that I caught, uh, it's just like a thing that I don't like in movies. They reuse the footage from the beginning scene with the delivery. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I just don't like that in movies. I think it's cheap. I think it's lazy. Even in kids' movies, uh, it, there's no reason they couldn't have reshot a new one because, like, it, it's a little jarring to me. Like, Carol is not wearing the same stuff that she is when she starts that scene at the end of it with that whole sequence. Uh, you know, it's not the same stuff that she's wearing uh, at the beginning when they reuse that footage. So if they're going to do that, I think they need to commit to making all that kind of have some continuity to it. Well, I feel like when when that stuff happens in movies, a lot of times it's just like from editing or like they, you know, they change the storyboard. Or they, they, sure. they, they do that in post because they have to. You know, um, like, you know, for instance, in, in A New Hope, a lot of the story only came out of pure desperation. <laughs> like, they, they took the only usable parts of the movie and crafted a story from it. You know, yeah, it's still convoluted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so it, I feel like a lot of those types of things are are due to that, you know, due to the editing, due to the post-production um, you know, possibly this uh, a change in store, change in direction. Yeah, well, we missed out on a lot of bigs, is all I'm saying from A New Hope. Uh, well, I think that wraps up this series, right? Yeah, all right. Let's let's rank our let's rank our Santa Claus movies, yeah, boys. Absolutely. Some other things to speculate. They uh, are not speculate, but to talk about our toy and um, what was the other thing? Uh, oh, uh, or what we think the Santa Claus Four would be about? What's the clause? That's right. All right, yeah. let's start we'll, there. We'll it. Let's start there. What's yeah. what is uh, okay. the Santa Claus? I mean, we're, we've already pretty much built out this universe, so let's let's keep going. What does Santa Claus Four look like? What is the what is the clause that we see in the next movie? Andy's Santa Claus, it. Santa Claus Four, the prenup. The prenup? <laughs> wait, wait, they got a prenup? It's the prenuptial clause. So there's going to be some hot disagreement between Mr. and Mrs. Claus. And because this is 2020, or headed into 2021, where we're woke now, Mrs. Claus is going to take over the business of being Santa Claus, and she's going to become the Santa Claus. What, and Santa I, Claus is going to be stuck at home baking cookies, taking yep. care of the elves. I got gotcha. you. Yep. Gotcha. Am I got missing it. the prenup part? I don't. I'm not. <laughs> I don't get it. It's so. It's something where it's one of those clauses in there that's already agreed upon that if you do X, Y, or Z, that it's going to trigger this effect to go into place where the Mrs. Claus takes over. Oh, I see. Okay, so the prenup yeah. wasn't necessarily mutually agreed upon other than the fact that it's part of the Santa Claus contract. Yep. Just like all the other parts of it. I see. I see. Yeah, it's okay. like an extension off of the Mrs. Claus. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, and of course, Curtis will probably bring it up at the worst moment because he's a fucking moron. God, I hate Curtis. Cur Curtis, now aged as a 30-year-old. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a goatee and... Uh, piercings yeah. can we look up what he's on we need to look up what this actor looks like today and go it? for it 
right, I'm on it. I'm on it. You, you <laughs> I do want to know. Right. With your, what are your uh, Santa Claus four clauses? Do you have anything, Zach, or should I just uh, freewheel I, it here? I want you to hit it. I, I'm I'm loving the stuff right. that's coming out of you right now, man. Uh, the Santa Claus for the divorce clause. Uh, kind of going with the, the marriage stuff here. Uh, what happens if they're actually unhappy, if the honeymoon period is over and not everything is holly and jolly anymore and they want to get a divorce? What happens there? So does Scott have to find a new wife from there before the next Christmas? Uh, what happens to Mrs. Claus? Does her memory get wiped? Does she become a new person? Does she uh, retain all of her memories? And she's Mrs. Claus, but she's going back into the real world. Uh, somebody who's been hauled up in the North Pole for years. Uh, so many questions to answer there. Who gets the kids? There are more kids at this point. It's not just Buddy. It's Buddy and Guy and Friend. <laughs> a shitty South Park joke uh, going off the Canada thing. Oh, that's, that's perfect. Um, yeah. So, yeah, a, a, lot of, a lot of things to unpack, a lot of things to unravel. And, uh, you know, also on top of that, what's going on with everybody else? What's going on with Charlie? What's his career? Is he an artist now? He seemed really good at spray painting from the two seconds you see of him finishing up a spray painting. Uh, what's he up to? What's Lucy doing now? Is she helping Scott at the North Pole? Who knows? All right. I can dig it. I can yeah. dig it. Yeah, I know I asked more questions than anything, but just kind of setting up uh, what could happen there. Because I yeah, don't know. No doubt. I mean, we, we got to set the stage. I mean, that's the yeah. way to do it. Uh, by the way, uh, Curtis, his name is Spencer Breslin, um, and he cannot play Curtis again. Yeah, he <laughs> is a little too punk now for. Uh... Oh, I got to see this. Yeah, he he's he is not head elf. No Spencer Breslin is he is he related to Abigail Breslin? Maybe because she she's in uh, three for a minute. Yes. Uh, yep. It's I wonder. Sister, I wonder Bryson. if he helped his sister get her start. Yeah, he's got a weird mixture of baby face and adult face going on, and it doesn't look good. Yeah, not not elf he's material in for sure. No, not elf no, material. I, I would not want him working in my workshop. All right. Here's my here's my here's my pitch for uh, for the Santa Claus four. It's called Santa Claus four. The widow. Oh fuck! Oh. And here we see a dark turn on the Santa Claus universe, where Mrs. Claus, the prior Mrs. Claus, before the murder of Santa Claus, comes back to uh, take vengeance on the original Santa Claus, and she is like. Uh, the Mrs. Claus we have never seen before. I mean, she's like she's like Kill Bill, Mrs. Claus. Like that's Hell yeah. that's we're gonna see Kill Bill as the Santa Claus essentially. That's that's my Santa Claus that. four pitch. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's great. That's playing off a thread that we introduced earlier. I love it, absolutely yep. love it. What are the implications of that? That's amazing. What is this rated? It's gotta be it's gotta be PG thirteen. It's got to be PG-13. PG-13. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. I mean, I think we can make it PG. Like we could, I mean, if we want, like if, if, if we want to go all out, kill bill style, gore, vulgarity, sexuality, I mean, we could make it that, but I think it would limit our audience. So we're going to bring it down to PG 13. And uh, how about we rate it R and then do what Deadpool did and make a PG 13 version of it. To That's release fair. on yeah. Disney Plus. Yep, definitely. So you got an R version on Hulu, and you've got uh, the PG thirteen version for the kids to watch on Disney Plus. And you know the kids still get one F word. You get one F word in a PG thirteen movie, and it's well, going to be right got- at the end when they say, "Buck Scott Kelvin." And, roll yep. credits. Roll credits. Roll. Yep. Hell yeah! Setting up the sequel to that one. <laughs> So the, the widow two, the, the widow two. Ah, oh, it's perfect, yes. guys. I love it. I love it. Guys. All right. Uh, do, do we want to get into rankings first, or do we want to get into past Christmas trauma? I want to hear about <laughs> Ted. I actually just want to hear about your previous Christmas experiences because you got me concerned. Yeah. It, it shouldn't be concerning. It's fine. Uh, but you know, I I grew up in a household where, uh, and I love my parents. Uh, I think they raised me very well. I have no actual complaints about how they raised me. But at the time, I was upset. I really was not allowed to have video games. They thought that I would become obsessed with them because they saw a couple times when I went to a friend's house or a cousin's house that I would play the video games nonstop when I was there. I personally think, looking back, that part of it might have been... I might have gotten obsessed with them but also we don't know if that's just because i didn't have it and because it was there i knew i had only few precious moments to use it and therefore i would be clung to that thing for as long as i could use it so piggybacking off of that i really wanted an n64 when those were coming out and you didn't really wanted it no, I, I didn't, you know, and, and I would have settled for even a Game Boy. Uh, my big thing was Pokemon, <laughs> man. That was my jam. I, I wanted Pokemon, but even more than that, I wanted Pokemon Stadium. I wanted Pokemon Snap. I wanted everything attached to Pokemon. And that was it. And I tried to convince my parents, you know, I only want these couple of games. I wouldn't ever ask for more than that. Uh, but it was always no. So I don't know if this was around Christmas or after, uh, but I do have memory of me making a cardboard N64 with cardboard controllers and cardboard screen where I drew out scene from Pokemon Stadium and I would pretend to play it. <laughs> that's that's classic. I mean, that's that's some early childhood stuff, man. I, I've done that before. Yeah. And uh, apparently my parents didn't feel anything from that. So <laughs> Damn, this still didn't get to the N64. Yeah, we can, we can take this offline if you want to. Oh, no. no. no I'm perfectly fine with this. No, it, it's really not a big deal. And honestly, like, uh, I, I think you guys know I'm not the biggest gamer to this day. Like, I've last game I played was uh, Fallen Order, like, outside of my usual I, I play madden regularly but that's about it uh not a huge gamer so i don't know if it's a nature or nurture effect there with that but i i don't really look at it uh negatively it's just funny to look back on and be like 
that was kind of sad that I made a cardboard thing and pretended to play the video game. Like it, it was imaginative, but it was sad. <laughs> That's not that sad. Like I said, I've done that before with stuff that I wanted that I couldn't have. Yeah. That makes sense. You guys got any? I, I've got one. This, yeah. this one really right. got me when I was a kid. I wanted so badly, so, so badly from Power Rangers, the White Power Ranger sword. White Power Ranger was my favorite. I was super into him. I wanted that. He used the Tiger Zord, right? Uh, Yeah. Green Ranger turned into the Tiger. The Sabertooth Tiger? Yeah, Sabertooth Tiger. Um, Yeah. He was my absolute favorite, and I wanted it so badly for Christmas. And I remember seeing it in the 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 store Ames. Do you guys remember that I store? Remember Ames, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, Ames. Okay, right. And mom wanted to get it for me, and I wanted for Christmas so bad. Never got it. But that same year, Burger King had come out with like a set of toys for the Power Ranger movie. One of which was like a little dagger version of it. So I had the dagger toy and. Believe it when I tell you guys that I played with that dagger for many hours as a child because I thought it was the fucking coolest thing and it was the only sword that I had. So instead of having the actual sword, I had a Burger King dagger. Well, wasn't the dagger what they like? He pulled out to like play the flute to to trigger his sword. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got the good. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't have the actual sword. I wanted the fucking sword. Well, I, I think we're crossing streams a little bit because I, I remember Power Rangers. So Tommy was both. Uh, I don't yeah. know why I remember yeah. this shit. Green, he the, but he was green. both the Green Ranger and the White Ranger. But and, and red when he was too, the Green it, Ranger, right? it was a little dagger that he played to get the dynast the dragon, the green uh, dragon. Right, you're right. And then when it was, uh, I don't know if he played the the white. Uh, De- or not dagger but sword but it was more of a sword uh than anything it was right, longer and i remember it, like on the dead. end of the hilt it had a tiger head on it so i want it i might buy it right now guys this is not good, <laughs> <laughs> not good. you've already made that mistake with another sword item i don't care i need it <laughs> it's different it's a laser sword oh that's funny yeah power rangers were big uh, back then man yeah, a bunch that, of that, that was my jam back in the day. Yeah, that, uh, you got anything, or was your childhood uh, perfect? I mean, I, I'm not going to say my childhood was perfect, but I don't, re- I don't really have any like bad Christmas memories. Like my my parents always kind of made sure that we we had like a, a good holiday. Like we Christmas was always very special, and you know it's interesting because we growing up. We didn't get anything like throughout the year. Like it was like if we got toys, it was birthday and Christmas. Like that's when we got new stuff. And so they they actually did a like they made it a point to make sure that we did get the things that we wanted um, on Christmas and birthdays because we didn't really get, you know, anything outside of that, which is it makes perfect sense as, as a parent now, you know, yeah, uh, especially with. Um, you know, what we have going on in our basement right now. Um, oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know how, how easily the toy collection can get out of control. 
Um, oh man. So I, I get, I get the logic, but no, I mean, I even like, I remember there was one Christmas when I asked for, um, for a boom box. So, I mean, we're, it's, we're getting, we're getting way back, you know? Oh uh, yeah. With a tape player in the mid, yeah, mid nineties needed the boom box with a tape player so I can play my backstreet boys tape. Um, Fuck yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, there's, I, like, I, I asked for a boom box, like, I, weeks leading up to Christmas. Like, I need, I need a boom box, need a boom box. And I was convinced that I was not going to get a boom box. And I opened a boom box on Christmas morning. And I, I remember saying to my mom, I said, I, know that santa is real because you never would have got me a boom box (laughs) (laughs) oh man i that's amazing and uh, i I love that and and i think she took that shit personally yeah that's (laughs) It, that just made me think too, like going back to this movie. If at any point your parents were like trying to wean you off of the Santa idea, the fact that they might have reaffirmed it by getting you something that you thought they would never get you is amazing to me. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, it's like, fuck, I want to return this thing immediately. Uh, yeah. That's funny. That's so, too yeah, funny. I, I, I didn't have any bad experiences, but I, I guess my parents did. <laughs> they really got shat on. Oh, yeah. God. Man, uh, Christmas let's memories. Let's fucking rank these things and get out of here. Rank let's them and it. get out of here. Let's do it. Um, yep. Ted, you start. All right. I got one, I got three, and I got two. One's a classic. It's wow. got the best jokes. It's got the best version of Tim Allen. Uh, can't beat that. Uh, logic aside, and there's no logic in these movies whatsoever, uh, I love one. Uh, it was a toss up between three and two. So for me, where three really got me was the thread that they introduced that they could reverse everything. And like it showed Scott the consequences of falling back into the old habits that he had and that, uh, you know, he could ruin things. But the only thing that would ruin anything with his family right now was him over worrying about that and overworking himself. Uh, and then two, like, is a really fun movie, but I think Creepy Santa, uh, the toy Santa, really just uh, lowers it a bit for me. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. I feel you. I feel you. I, I, I think the, the two is tough because of the, the plastic Santa, but my ranking would go one, two, three. Those are like kind of in order. Those are my favorite. Yeah. The, the number one is just so nostalgic for me. And and to your point is has the best version of Tim Allen in it. You know, and that's what I really like about it. Like half the movie is just Tim Allen being a smart ass, you know, kind of growing into his role as Santa Claus. Uh, and it really resonates with me as the grumpy father I am today. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, number two. Two and three, I, I can see where you would kind of switch those up, but uh, number two still has that nostalgic factor for me. You know, it was still I was still pretty young when that came out, and I you know I watched it unironically. Um, so I think number two just kind of had my had my interest at that time, and plus I liked the um, you know it still had that kind of um, early two thousands like aesthetic to it, and again, it's really all nostalgia for that from that movie um but totally understand the plastic santa is rough that is a 
creepy ass Santa. Um, and then number three, I just, I, nah, I didn't really like the storyline. I, 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 yeah, there's not much redeeming for number three for me. It, it came out at a time I wasn't interested anymore. Um, it, it feels like they're milking the franchise. Um, you know, so eh, I, 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 it was fine. And as a, as a end to the trilogy, um, you know, being what it is, it, it worked, you know, it was fine, but it wasn't my favorite. My rankings are going to be the same one, two, three in that order with really like two and three being movies. We didn't need, we could have had the Santa Claus and it would have been a nice single one-off Christmas story, but we wouldn't be doing a podcast without two and three. So I'd say like kudos to Disney for making that happen and having people enjoy them like Zach, you did, you know, um, somewhat during childhood and later on too. But um, can't really say I, I love this franchise either. So even though like I'm ranking them that way, these aren't my favorite Christmas movies to watch. So can't can't say I'm a fan. That's fair. They're no Home Alone. Yeah, not not a classic. No. Let's talk about our. Uh, next project or next episode, what's homework for next time? Uh, for next time, anybody listening, if you want to watch along, we're going to watch the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. So that's Spider-Man's one, two, and three, uh, starring Tobey Maguire. You've got Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane Watson. I mean, these are movies that really kind of helped launch the current resurgence of superhero movies that we have today with the mcu and the dceu and everything so uh yeah i I'm definitely excited to revisit those because i have fond memories of the first two and i know three's kind of a mess but maybe it's not as bad as i remember so i'd be excited to check that out what do you guys think this is one of my favorite spider-man uh iterations um from anything really you know between animation and and uh live action movies um I'm, I'm excited about it. i love i love the sam raimi series so uh it should be a lot of fun i think it's appropriate too for um some speculation as the marvel cinematic universe spider-man the next one that comes out might be bringing in elements from these other spider verses so good i think point. it's a good trilogy to uh to tap into for our speculative minds yeah that's true uh haven't they confirmed or all but confirmed that uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield from the uh, next Spider-Man reboot are going to be in this next one? I've seen stuff about that, but I don't know if is it has it actually been confirmed. I think it's just maybe not officially casting reports. So I don't know if it's been a Hollywood reporter story. That means it's, you know, pretty much confirmed. But yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, I don't know Variety or Hollywood Reporter. But yeah, well, we'll find way, out. We'll we'll, d- we'll dig into it and report back for uh, on next episode. We'll get into it. Absolutely. Well, uh, everybody have a happy holiday. Whatever you're celebrating, I'm going to be celebrating Life Day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, find us on most podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Franchise Flicks for new episodes and other content. You can follow Andy on Twitch and Instagram at Darth Buckman and follow Zach on Twitter at underscore Zach Russo. Talk to you next time. Oh, good. Here we go.
That's the outro. Perfect. 